Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. This is Che. And I'm Shanadetta. Ah, I figured. The Reverend Mother, eventually. Just just <laughs> wait, I've got a plan. I'm playing a long game here. The Abbess. Yeah, uh, that's it, yeah. So, as suggested there, our first film this week, we're talking about the 2021 Paul Verhoeven film, Benedetta. Uh, the second non-sploitation film we've covered on the cast. What was the first? I don't recall. Don't Deliver Us From Evil is basically oh, exploitation. It is. Yeah, um, yeah you're right. Uh, they're they're novitiates basically, but yeah, it's it's essentially a non-sploito. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way because they didn't wear the outfits. Right. Uh, that. <laughs> And that one's like really much more on the exploitation end, although there's a lot of it here. This one's very tongue in cheek, as Verhoeven tends to be. <laughs> yep. Uh, so <laughs> uh, the the way it opens up, especially, I, I think is a really good opening to the the style of it, that it has these really classy gold titles on black with opera playing. It's like. Oh, going to be real, real classy, you know, based on a <laughs> a novel, uh, based on a novel based on the true story of Sister Benedetta. Uh, so the novel was made in was written in the 80s. It's called Immodest Acts. Uh, oh. <laughs> the full title. Uh, <laughs> Please. I guess that's what that I guess. Yeah, that is a description of what happens here. There's yeah. not a lot of modesty going on in Benedetta. Immodest Acts, The Life of a Lesbian Nun in Renaissance Italy, uh, written by Judith C. Brown, who's a historian. Uh, so, yeah, like it, it is based on historical fact. Uh, the, the really key thing is that there's this weird gap in the history that we'll get to later on where they don't they, they know that there was a trial and they know that sentence was passed. But then. Uh, there's just a gap in the history, and then later on, they find out uh, she was 70 when she died. Oh, so it was just kind of so. It wasn't that uh, they there's decided sort of a, to end it at the end. It was more like that's just when people stopped recording what happened. Uh, in fact, there is a, a period of the film that is speculation. Okay. I'm curious which period, because I imagine yeah. there's a lot of speculation in here. Oh, certainly. But uh, the, the main thing is that uh, the, the, the gap is that they know that the, a sentence was – or no, not that a sentence was passed, but like the, the trial took place and that they found her guilty. Right. And then they don't know what happened after that. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So there, there's some speculation in here on the way it could have gone. <laughs> yeah um i i was expecting this i don't know just the name nunsploitation i was expecting this to be a lot trashier than it was uh and but then i was like verhoven doesn't his other stuff that i've seen isn't really trashy it's usually saying something well it's a bit of both he 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 <laughs> he embraces exploitation but there, he puts a question mark under it, you know, like mm. with RoboCop, it, he it's extremely ridiculously violent, but like it's a commentary on the violence of American action cinema. 
Uh, and he's he's referred to RoboCop as being the American Jesus. And there is even a part near the end where he walks on water. He does come back from the dead. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, and he shoots that one that guy's power. dick off. Oh, right. It's just the one in the actual movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not horde after horde of dick out dudes. Uh, <laughs> although that is easily my favorite part of the uh, my RoboCop thing or whatever. I can't believe I haven't seen RoboCop. Oh, yeah, we, we should absolutely do, absolutely do RoboCop sometime. It's uh, so great. It's just a total blast. All right, cool. But, like, yeah, his thing has always been sort of doing the exploitation and, like, really doing the exploitation, like, leaning into it. Like, Basic Instinct is fully uh, full-tilt erotic thriller. It's just it's also one that's a little bit more self-conscious about it. You know, it's it's aware of what it's doing. Well, I guess yeah. There's there's exploit there's some exploitation here. Uh, oh, definitely yeah. one of the props uh, that gets used. Oh, for sure. Like that that one's just that's great, and that that's like <laughs> classic classic non-exploitation stuff. I feel because like the value of non-exploitation. What's really fun about the non-exploitation genre is how it delves into. Uh, blasphemy and that it's just gleeful in how it gets to play with catholic iconography usually catholic because you know they have so much iconography yeah and then this movie goes ahead and examines uh what is and isn't okay as far as blasphemy goes rather than just shows it to us for for fun or whatever well it it does also show it to us for fun like it's having a real good time with it yeah. Uh, especially all the dream sequences with muscly Jesus. Those are great. <laughs> oh my God. I love uh, Bollywood swordsman Jesus. <laughs> He's an action hero. It's rules. He's just slicing dudes up all the time. <laughs> uh, just cutting off, like chopping snakes off of people's bodies. <laughs> there, there's all sorts of stuff. Like he's just kicking ass every time he shows up. Mm-hmm. So uh, we open up with Benedetta as a very young girl. She's uh, with her mother in a sedan chair in a procession uh, through like hills of Italy out of nowhere. Uh, and, and they stop at a Virgin Mary statue and the girl, she she like has to sing at these statues. It's her thing. I wonder if this was like how she was raised or like something that she latched onto or if she was really really playing the long game here i'm not sure uh like it definitely feels like right from the beginning she feels pretty devout at the beginning but she also seems like a a little crazy it's it's not sure like i i don't know if she's necessarily a compulsive liar from the beginning but she has sort of a weird mysticism about her and, and this was an era in which people did have a bit more of a mysticism to them true true because she does sort of arguably perform a miracle right here. This, I would say, is miracle one of the film. Okay. Because uh, they're they're approached by the masked or the not masked armed riders, just a, a group of baddies. Just yeah, whatever, like bandits, medieval thugs, you know, uh, the guys that uh, your D and D characters kill for some XP. Who cares who they are? Exactly. No nameless thugs. It's a group of baddies on horseback who all look like sort of Robin Hoodie, but obviously they're not stealing to give to the poor. They're stealing to just take it. And they're saying, like, look, we don't have any money. We're on our way to Pescia uh, for 
Benedetta here to go into a nunnery where we're putting her into a convent. And like the lead guy takes the mom's necklace off with his sword. Yeah, I, I couldn't I can't quite remember. Like, I couldn't remember what Benedetta said here, but it was something like. I don't know, something that made me go like, oh, she's going to be a little shit disturber in this one. Yeah, like she's very firm. She's very righteous. It's not emotional in any way. Like she she is not like frightened in the slightest. Like she is completely willing to challenge this group of armed dudes, even though she's like eight and yeah. tiny. Uh, and, and it's something like give my give that back. That belongs to my mother. Uh, and she says, the virgin is going to punish you if you don't. She does all I tell her to. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> she she was starting this whole thing pretty early. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like this is just what she grew up, sort of her personal belief, because I don't necessarily feel that she's lying. I think that she does believe her own bullshit most of the time. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, um, I, I, I feel like there is an amount of self-delusion, but for the most part, she feels like she is performing miracles and having these visions. Yeah, I might have cut myself, but God made me do it. Yeah, she yeah. said, like, I, I don't remember cutting myself, but yeah, maybe I did, but it's God that did it through me. Yeah, so, so yeah, because of that, like, little degree of separation, I can buy that she believes her own bullshit. Yeah. So one of the dudes on horseback, this one-eyed guy, he says something blasphemous against the Virgin. I can't recall exactly what it is. And, like, in a tree behind them, a bird starts chirping really angrily. And the girl, uh, Bennett, I just like, that's the Virgin. She's responding to my call for help. Oh, right. And then... <laughs> Miracle uh, number the... one happens. <laughs> the bird shits on, the dude looks up and the bird shits in his one good eye. Yeah, it like flies angrily out of the tree and shits directly in the guy's eye. Who took the virgin's name in vain? And everyone is fucking in stitches. <laughs> like the the whole gang, they're like, okay, that's pretty funny. You know what? We're we're gonna give you the necklace back. That that's too funny. <laughs> we're we're not gonna tempt fate anymore. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's like she read one of those Tumblr posts where like and that ends with and everybody clapped as I cartwheeled out of the room and then just she made it happen. She yeah, she just believed in it so hard. It's like we were saying last week. She's just doing the secret. She is like making that spirit board come to life. Yep. <laughs> you just got to think about something real hard and it'll be yours. Yeah. yeah and you, you just like make a, a board and you like put pictures of it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Not always sunny episode on it. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. So when they get to the town square. There's this really fun stage show going on. Just like a, a, a sort of like uh, uh, there, there's these people in skeleton body stockings dancing around a real skeleton. And there's a oh, monk yes. with a torch who they're all chasing in circles around it. So. So I had, I was actually having a hard time at first. I mean, I figured it out later trying to figure out when this would would take place because uh, the book says it's in the Renaissance. But here. Uh, the good old Black Plague shows up. 17th century. I mean, like, the, the Black Plague was going on for, like, 500 years. Oh, so it must not have been, like, the big... 
This like, is a this later was... version. Yeah. So this is 17th okay. century Italy, late 1600s. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when, maybe early 1600s. Uh, I, I was looking this up earlier, but I forget. Uh, but yeah, it is during a Black Plague flare-up, but Pescia is not really dealing with it. They're no, not, but I mean, uh, a few other places city. are. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty bad elsewhere, uh, which is sort of the point of this little stage show. You know, they're dancing around the skeletons, you know, they're chasing around the monk. Uh, I, I feel like it's a medieval form of that skeleton cartoon, you know, the one with the oh. song? Yeah, spooky, scary skeletons. Yeah, it's that. It, it's them doing that, but like the the ZZ Top back in time folk version from uh, <laughs> Back to the Future 3, right? Yes. I don't remember that, but that sounds amazing. <laughs> uh, so it's Signora Carlini is bringing Benedetta, his daughter, and his dowry. He, he kind of just brought a bunch of fruit and wines. Like, I'm going to bring it every year. They're like, Okay, but the money, though, <laughs> this ain't a charity. Uh, I can't give my landlord, I can't pay my landlord with fruit and wine, but it's, it's worth. Well, You're fine. a nunnery. This is, this is a convent. He's like, no, no, we're not about charity here. This is a business. Uh, I can take <laughs> three girls per year. That's all. There's a stack of applicants. You you want you look check out these people and the stuff that they could give me money for. Yeah, but Benedetta performed miracles. Yeah, yeah. So did everyone. Well, she's they they're uh, soft pedaling that to this point because Benedetta's or uh, miracles are kind of a source of trouble. So they're not really talking about that stuff. They they find mm. that out on their own real soon though. <laughs> yeah. Instead, miracles are. So much paperwork. Oh, they're 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 a pain. Uh, and and he's just like they're they're bartering. He offers fifty gold schooldy, and she's like hundred. And he starts to haggle, and he's like mm, seventy five. And she's like, you Jew. Uh, and and <laughs> he he's like, fine, fine. Well, I'll give you the hundred. Uh, and he goes to give a handshake, and she's like, no, no. I it, it's weird because she's like, this is a business, but then. She won't shake his hand is like, I'm just going to have to trust you. We're, we don't shake hands here. Well, you know, they're in the middle of a pe- plague, de- pandlague, plague. They're in the middle of a plague. You don't shake hands. I guess. But you know, only, uh, only a couple of people in this world, though, care about social distancing. Um, Benedetta was right about. She's right, things, actually. She, she's she's uh, got her eyes on the prize the whole time. So. She's taken into the convent. Uh, they take her personal virgin idol away, which is going to be important later on. A little wooden <laughs> idol. I, I knew that this was going to be Chekhov's idol or a MacGuffin. I did not predict what was going to happen to it at all. And wow. Yeah, I know. It's great. We're, we're going to get to it. It's awesome. We're, we're, not, we're not skipping over that. So they they also make her change into really uncomfortable clothing. And there there's a whole thing about it where she's like I don't like this. This is this feels really uncomfortable and uh the nun doing the intakes like your worst enemy is your body. So it's best not to feel at home in it. That's I I hate that. Yeah, no, I it's it's <laughs> absolutely sucky and that's the 
point. And I, I really like that this is sort of a movie that is sort of in conversation with it. It's putting out all of these things. It's very much like Witchhammer. It's just sort of looking at it from uh, an inverted perspective where you defeat the Witchhammer. Yeah, like like the more it's like that whole period where like the more pain you put yourself through, the more your devotion is to God. But then I mean, that is here. We, oh, we see yeah, penitence. Oh, yeah. But but like it makes a point of showing that the uh, the, the highest ranked person we see that supposedly most devoted person to God absolutely does not do that. No, they absolutely have the most luxury. Yeah. Oh, b- by far, it is <laughs> conspicuous. Yeah. So uh, the, the nun who uh, takes it away has the missing finger and she has this whole speech about how she wishes she were entirely wood because she just has the one wooden finger. Mm-hmm. It's really weird. Yeah. Because she's like, I, I wish my whole body were made of wood so I didn't have to deal with any of this flesh stuff. And uh, I, it, it, it feels like she's really internalized the uh, self-hatred of your body. Mm-hmm. A lot of these people have, but... Mm. But her it's, it's especially. Yeah. It's interesting, like, how, like, the different levels of who's internalized that and who hasn't and mm-hmm. how much each of these people actually believe in the faith. And everyone's motivations here are actually pretty different and interesting. And their relationship with the religion is interesting. And I really like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they they take her to her cell. Uh, and it really is just, it's a cell. It's very much like a prison cell. There's nothing oh, in it. Yes. It's dark. It's small. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but there's a big statue of the Virgin Mary that's outside in the hall. So in the middle of the night, she gets up to pray to it because she is very devout. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And miracle number two happens. She asks for a sign and the statue falls over on her. Now, this one, I can't explain this one as a con. <laughs> no, this one kind of seems to happen to her. This one feels her. And real. It's, it, it's kind of hard to explain the first one as a con, too, because she couldn't have controlled the bird no, that then, perfectly. But, you know, we might... It could be that uh, this is how she's remembering it as a six-year-old, and it is like the Tumblr post thing. It's like, we might be reading her Tumblr post about it. Or uh, it's it's the folklore version. It's the, the version that's been passed down, because yeah. people even there do suggest, like, were you like working away at the stones underneath it or anything. And we saw that she wasn't. Yeah. But did we see it right? I don't know. Uh, yeah. I, interestingly, when it falls on her, she suckles the nipple for a moment, but then she's interrupted. Yeah, she was, uh, that was weird. Um, yeah, she eyes it for a moment. She's pausing and then like she goes for it. And then someone's like, oh my God. It's like, whoop. <laughs> Yeah, like, shit, I got caught. Oh, no, wait, she's probably saying, oh, my God, because I got crushed by a statue. Yeah, it's like, whoo. And so so a bunch of nuns lift the statue off, uh, and they say, it's a miracle she wasn't crushed. And, and the Reverend Mother's like, oh, my God, don't don't use the M word. I don't want to <laughs> yeah. get out the paperwork. Yeah, walking Benedetta back, she's like, look, miracles sprout like mushrooms. Uh, usually they're more trouble than they're worth. Uh, so this is the whole childhood section. We we fast forward 18 years. Okay, so she's she'd be like 26 then, I guess. Something like that. I I, I wasn't really clear how old she was at the beginning. 
Yeah, 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 I guess. 20s. So, somewhere in her 20s, 20s for sure. Maybe early 30s. Uh, and she's in a stage play. We we cut to her as Jesus uh, in in this blue gold embroidered robe. She's radiant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so she she has a vision of Jesus while they're putting on the play. Uh, this is where he proclaims her as his wife. Oh, so this reminds me. Have you ever heard of the web? Com- well, I guess it's a real comic, too. Now he's got a book uh, called Mr. Boop. It's no. about uh, the dude's a self-insert original character who is married to Betty Boop. And like the first <laughs> the first page is literally it's four panels. It's like the title. And then it's like, I am in love with my wife, Betty Boop. And then Betty Boop's there. It's like, I also am deeply in love with my husband, Alec, and we have sex every day. And then the final panel is, I can't wait to tell the guys at work about this. And he's always like, every time he mentions in the comic book, he's like, I, Alec, who is married to Betty Boop, feel this. And it's like, I, Betty Boop, who loves my husband, Alec, that, that's what this felt like to me, just being like making fun of the whole fan fiction thing to just be like really in your face about how you're married to the hot character. Yeah, I, I think specifically that this is more about Catholicism and a lot of fringe Catholicism, especially as fan fiction about Jesus. <laughs> uh, I, I, I would say that is the more pointed point of it is that like, yeah, it is very fan fiction-y because that's sort of how people uh, tend to envision their muscly fighting Jesus. That, that's how <laughs> he is. He's very absurd in this. He's Rambo-esque at times. He is. But then they have later on, they have like a Jesus statue that uh, I could only describe. My first thing when I look at it is uh, I think of balloon animal Jesus. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, so – in in the dream, he's she's running to him across a field, and uh, they're rising her to she like she's ascending to heaven, but she's supposed to be dead. But like her feet are running, you know, she's like she's she's like a cat asleep, yeah, you know, hunting. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Because well, she's being raised on wires to ascend to the side of God as Jesus in the play, but she's having this dream and like. You're supposed to be dead. <laughs> uh, so they, they have a big toast afterward held by her dad, the Carlinis, uh, and they toast to the Bishop of Milan who just died of plague. So it's getting close. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and she confides, I think it's to her mother uh, that she saw Jesus earlier. And she says like, oh yeah, I, you know, I'm marrying Jesus. Did you know? <laughs> <laughs> he said that I was his wife. It's like, oh, uh, interesting. And then we are introduced to our other main character who uh, comes flying in the, the, the convent doors. It's like, he's, he's going to kill me. Oh, uh, Bartolomea. I, I like her. She, my opinion of her really, really changed from the beginning to the end of the movie uh, as it went along. I like both of them a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she immediately runs to Benedetta uh, and she clutches at her legs. And her father, like uh, Bartolomea's father, comes in and is trying to, like, drag her out physically. Oh, yeah, he's got, like, this uh, stick thing. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> some sort uh, of... It's some kind. It's a 
it, it's like a violent inquisition-y version of the uh, the cane that you drag people off stage with. Yeah, I'd describe it as an orphan hook. Oh, God, <laughs> yes. And and yeah, he's trying to drag her out of there, and Benedetta has just immediately fallen for her. It's it's pretty obvious, and uh, her dad, uh, well, like no, she's she's literally falling over as well because uh, she's <laughs> got her by the legs, and she gets pulled. So her dad kicks the guy in the face. Yeah. Uh, and and the girl's like, she just take me in, uh, take me into the convent. Uh, <laughs> and of course, Mother <laughs> Superior's like a. Okay, listen, this isn't how it works. You guys don't understand. Yeah, what do you not get? A convent is not a place of charity, guys. And Benedetta's like, hey, my dad will pay for it. And then, like, fuck. The way he, like, throws up his arms, he's like, sure, fine. I'm made of money, I guess. Yeah, like, it's her birthday, I think. So. Oh, yes. He buys Bartolomea for her as a gift, basically. Although he does kind of look like he's a little made of money compared to some of these other people. Yeah, and I like the nun immediately when Benedetta suggests that her dad pays the dowry, like head nun is like, you know, Mr. Contini, the rich don't enter the kingdom of heaven, you know? (laughs) (laughs) She's, She's willing to put the hard sell. She didn't care about the girl a moment ago. It was like, hey. I mean, you are rich. Maybe you should. <laughs> <laughs> you know who you know who needs money more than anybody else is the Catholic Church. Oh yeah, we're 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 hurting here. There's a plague on. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. There's like almost no gold in our convent. Right. So she also pays, or he pays off the dad too. Uh, he wants twenty denarii and enough to buy a dog to replace her. <laughs> Which I don't know what he's doing with that dog from what we hear later. There's just a gross guy all around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Real yeah, mess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Bartolome is taken to bathe and she and Benedetta have a chat. Oh, and, yeah. And like, is this. This is where she's like in the curtains, like surrounded by curtains. Oh, yeah. Chat. Showering, kind of. But, yeah. you know, without indoor plumbing. Right. <laughs> Benedetta is just like. Because Benedetta's like being the shower. She's pouring the water on her from above. Yeah. And getting distracted by boob in the curtain. Yeah. Bartolomea slips on some soap and she falls forward and Benedetta touches the, her breast through the curtain. And she kind of just has to leave and take a breather. <laughs> She's like, oh, I, I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! I, I'm is this does this count as cheating on Jesus? What if he finds out? Yeah, she's worried about it right away. And then later on, uh, Bartolomea asks her to uh, show her where the bathrooms are. Uh, Bartolomea is much earthier than <laughs> uh, <laughs> than Benedetta. Let's say, like she she came from the common people. She she has a certain reality to her. I love I, I love this scene because they they make this they don't shy away from making the sounds just yeah Bartolomea just she really has to take a dump and and that that is uh, a very serious part of the scene <laughs> and and like notably it gets serious right away right after that because we see how beat her legs are like she's been really tortured so her mother died of plague. 
and she's just been replacement mom in all all senses and also her brothers have been after her so she's really been looking to get out of the house yeah yeah so then it's like yeah so if he's replacing her with a dog yeah that's what i'm saying <laughs> uh... it's a trouble on troubling on multiple levels the guy, guy's all into i mean he uh could uh have the bestiality charge that benedetta ends up with later mysteriously but <laughs> oh yeah the the one, the one thing she actually didn't do so bartolomea her her thing is that finally it got to a head where she tried to stab her dad with some scissors that morning and that's why he was chasing her through the streets and she's like he's gonna kill me so i need safe haven here um yeah dad's a uh, psycho dad's uh with chasing people with weapons is uh, kind of a theme of our movies today oh yeah totally and i mean this was the yeah. 17th century where you could really get away with it oh yeah it's like oh, it's my kid i can stab him with scissors if i want to i mean oh, probably well, i'm not gonna tell him how to raise i mean there's kid. a plague on i mean you you put the body outside for people to drag away that's that's just what you do i i, I figure there were a lot of people getting away with a lot of stuff in this era yeah Oh, God, so, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. yeah come on. <laughs> so Benedetta is talk like she says to her that it's like, you know, beauty is dangerous. And then like they go on talking for a bit and like there, there's a couple beats and Bartolome is like, wait a second. Did you just call me beautiful? And yeah, Benedetta is like, well, yeah, because you are. She's like, I, I, yeah, have, she's, I never Benedetta, seen myself before. Benedetta's line, I, I really like that she isn't taken aback by like she she's not embarrassed by having been caught in calling her beautiful or anything. She's like, Well, oh, you didn't know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, that's right. And and that's sort of the thing about Benedetta that makes her really compelling, despite how she seems to lie or is potentially hoaxing constantly is that she seems extremely genuine whenever she says anything. And maybe that's why she's so able to pull it off is that she always really delivers it. Uh -huh, uh -huh. I, I was right about her being the predicting from a child that she was going to be a shit disturber. I was just wrong about oh, yeah. how she was going to do it. I thought she was going to, she was doing know, it to fuck the patriarchy. It's great. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the, she says, like, well, I've literally never seen myself. I've never owned a mirror. Uh, and weird little bit where Bennett is like, well, you could see your reflection in my eyes. Oh, yeah. It's like, come closer, closer. It's like, you're just going to need to get really, really close. <laughs> I can't see anything. Don't, no, like, don't you know what I'm trying to, like, yeah. subtly do here? He's like, well, closer then. Uh, and they're almost right up against each other and when they're interrupted by christina the daughter of the reverend mother oh that's the daughter yeah oh that okay pretty important yeah she's uh, important i didn't know she was the daughter though i i would feel that the relationship is also pretty important yeah oh yes so yeah she's the daughter of the reverend mother and she's a bit of a spy she's a bit of a She's got hall monitor syndrome, which is uh, not oh a good thing God. to have around here. <laughs> teacher, you forgot to assign homework today. Yeah, teacher mom. Uh, yeah. So they, they go back to their cells, uh, and just before they part, uh, Bartolomea kisses Benedetta and then scurries off. <laughs> and, and this is where 
Benedetta is actually, oh shit, is this cheating on Jesus? <laughs> yeah. Is this where she has like a dream that answers that question for her, or is this that? Uh, well, she, she has, she just prays to the Virgin Mary here. She's like, I, I need you to guide me, or, or I, I feel that I need to guide this girl. And we hear a voice agreeing. It's like, yes, you are going to need to guide this girl personally. <laughs> uh, she's going to guide her all right. Oh, yeah, definitely. A little bit weird at first. Uh, it's it's a rocky start. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. I forgot about that word. Like, the Virgin Mary thing starts talking to her. It's like, yes, no, you're right. You definitely need to quote-unquote guide the girl. Yeah. It's like, okay, uh, you're you're definitely doing everything right. It's like, okay, perfect, perfect. I wasn't just talking to myself. Definitely not. <laughs> and then... So the next day at uh, choir practice in the morning, uh, Bartolomea kind of works her way through the crowd up close to Benedetta. Oh, yeah. OK, so this is the part where <laughs> she like. Puts yeah, her here she has. <laughs> she comes so hard. She sees Jesus. Well, she just gooses her. It, it's just like the moment she touches her, she has a vision. <laughs> this, this is the snakes one. Yeah, yeah, no, she she became so horny she saw Jesus. Yeah, because Benedetta gets really, really up close to her, and she reaches under, and she grabs her, and then we cut instantly to Benedetta having this intense vision of her being attacked by a bunch of snakes. Yep, only to be saved by Rambo Jesus with a sword. Hell yeah. He's like, neither life nor death can separate us. And they kiss. And we cut back to see everyone just silently looking at Benedetta because she's walked all the way across the stage. <laughs> <laughs> with her, yeah, with her arms like out. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just remembering that uh, that bit from The Simpsons where Homer is uh, explaining how babies are made and we just see like the cartoony sperm. And then we cut to Homer and he's doing the wiggly. Yeah, he, he's being the sperm. And she, she's like, reaching out like, stay with me. <laughs> that's that's what this reminded me of. Oh, totally. Or like we were talking about chocolate. No, that was 10 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. So she goes uh, to conf I, Sorry, go ahead. I, I do kind of wonder like how long she was just walking out there, how long they had stopped singing for like, what are you doing? <laughs> just to see anybody's yeah. reaction to that would have been great. I Well, I just like that everyone's like, what's going on here? <laughs> like everyone has stopped and is just watching her be weird. Like you figure that this has happened a time or two. Oh, yeah. Benedict is back on her bullshit. Yeah. So she goes to confession, says that she saw Jesus, and she has this whole conversation about how the father feels that she had a false vision because she felt fear rather than joy, and she should only feel joy in the presence of the Lord. Yeah, but <laughs> doesn't let her say, no, I felt fear because there were snakes, and then the right. joy showed up when Jesus showed up. So When hot you know. Jesus showed up, yeah. Yeah, muscle man Jesus. Uh, like, because, no, 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 you definitely didn't have a real vision. Look, don't we don't want to get into this. No, because he also instantly contradicts himself because he then says suffering is the only way to know Christ. It's like, well, is it joy or suffering then? Who knows, dude? <laughs> yeah, that too. 
Uh, and of course, he left with the whole thing about suffering. He left out uh, one really important word. Yeah, your suffering and, and that's no we're gonna find out immediately because that's <laughs> right. what we go to next yeah uh the thing with the bobbins yes the thing with the bobbins what's so a bobbin then, it's it's for weaving it's like oh, one okay. of the it, like they're the wooden uh things that uh, it's it's part of a loom i i can't okay okay yeah yeah, you know a wooden part of a loom and uh there's a nun who's carrying like a basket of them and collides with bartolomea and i do feel it's on the nun carrying the the stuff she really kind of came out of nowhere oh absolutely you gotta when you're dealing with uh boiling water and you're running around carrying buckets of shit you gotta be like hey i'm coming around a corner yeah that's like restaurant rule number one Oh, it's, it's stupid. And, you know, they all get dumped into the boiling water. And, you know, there, there's a bit of a scuffle between the two of them blaming who, you know, who who's in the wrong because, mm-hmm. you know, it's an expensive error. All, all of these bobbins could be ruined by being in boiling water for a while. I guess it's, you know, it's bad for the wood. Yeah. So, you know, can't be arguing about whose fault it is. Someone's got to save the bobbins. <laughs> and. You know, a nun has, or I, I guess a nun has not arrived yet, but Benedetta is like, it's Bartolomea's fault. And she orders her to take the bobbins out immediately, even though it's boiling water. And it's like, he, if you don't do it, we're going to send you back to your father. And even the other nun is like, hey, hey hold on. Like, it's it a is bit much. boiling. That's... And you can't do that. You, you don't, you're not really in charge here. Yeah, but she's like, well, no, do it. Yeah. And, you know, Bartolomea is like, Oh, okay. And she reaches her arm in and she pulls out three of them and she's just badly burning her arm. Oh, yeah. Like immediately all red and oh, God. And Bennett is like, that's not all of them. Reach back in. (laughs) Yeah. But then Sister Petra shows up and she's like, oh, my God, stop this. What's going on here? I need to take her to the infirmary. And Bennett is like, oh, she burned herself. <laughs> she does, does not really go into the details of it immediately. But then uh, she is, of course, uh, taken to the mother superior to talk about it. Well, he said that suffering was how to get to Jesus. He did. He's like, like it, I, I didn't intend to punish her. I just wanted to hurt her. <laughs> and she's like, I'm sorry, what the fuck? <laughs> It's like, well, Father Ricordati told me, suffering, it brings you closer to God. And she's like, oh my God, your own suffering. <laughs> yeah. Our own sufferings, not the sufferings of others. And she's like, it's like, well, oh, you know, I mean, like, you should be more specific. <laughs> yeah, it's really confusing because sometimes the Catholic Church, sometimes I've noticed since I joined them, they'll say one thing and mean something else, or like, uh, sometimes they'll say something and then do the opposite. So, you know, I just want to make sure we're clear on everything. It's like, I mean, how am I supposed to navigate this? I'm, I'm, I'm getting mixed messages in every other sentence. Uh, so she, she is given a sentence, no bread for a week. And she has to change Sister Jacopo's bedding uh, for three weeks or something. And I'm I'm just thinking to myself, well, that doesn't sound so bad compared to what it could be. And it's not super bad, but Sister Jacopo's bedding is not the best. Uh, it's it's real nasty. We we cut immediately to that. Mm-hmm. And who she loves she loves to talk. Yeah, she she I guess she has leprosy or something. Oh, okay. like 
it's it's not clear, but like she clearly has a lot of open sores. Yeah, I I was just noticing the uh, horrible burn marks on her. Uh, well, you know, I didn't notice all the other stuff. Yeah, and and like her her bedding is gross. It's just like covered it's in seeping. Gross. Yeah, and and yeah. she says that she takes pride in her suffering, which Benedetta's like, well, but pride is a mortal sin, and and Jacopa's like, well, we're all entitled to one sin. Not me. I never sin. No, she she doesn't really say anything. Like she's just taking that in. Like, oh, we're we're all entitled to do one sin, right? <laughs> I I would she's... say that she might not always tell the truth as a result. It's like, okay, well, my sin can be a little yeah. bit of fudging of the truth. Yeah. So I misinterpreted this scene because because I thought at first, without seeing knowing how the movie was going to go, she was like, hey, mm. I know what my sin's going to be then. Oh, <laughs> giggity. Although I guess that means she gets two sins. But she's special, I, no, though. I, I feel that uh, she really she works that out with Jesus personally. She's oh, yeah, right. She's That's... pretty on the level like it's life and death cannot separate them. So her living her life is not going to separate her from her marriage with Jesus. Right, right. That's so an it's... eternal thing. Yeah, of course. OK, so, yeah, she can have the side pieces. Oh, of course. Uh, so Jacopo says that she was born Jewish, which is her sin. Which is weird. I, I guess, like, she's sort of talking about her background, and, and she sort of gives a bit of background on people. She says Sister Petra, who's the one who took uh, Bartolome away earlier, uh, was a prostitute. And she's like, me being born Jewish is more unforgivable than her past. It's It's a thing that I can't live down, whereas she's allowed to just sort of put that put that behind her. It's like, what do you think about the hypocrisy of the church there, huh? Yeah, yeah. This this, uh, this conversation, actually, now that I think about it, set probably set a lot of wheels in motion that mm-hmm. uh, wouldn't have otherwise. And and then she undresses, and yeah, she shows that her left breast is mostly non-existent, like it's kind of gone. Mm-hmm. All these uh, bird marks, and I'm not even yeah. really sure. Yeah, she's she had she went through something fucking horrible. Mm-hmm. And then that night, or I guess it's the next morning, the convent wakes up to Benedetta screaming in pain. And here's where <laughs> she has her whole freak out for a few days. Oh, right. This the, the, right. That the stigmata doesn't happen right away. Yeah. First, they tie her to the bed and they fetch the doctor just to examine her and figure out what's up. And he can't figure out what's going on. So he puts her to sleep with the poppy juice. Mm-hmm. So she's just having a trip for the next few days on opium. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, we're going to see uh, muscle Jesus again. <laughs> oh, definitely tripping on opium tied to a bed for a bunch of days. She's going to have <laughs> lots of time to imagine. Uh, and like the guy, I, I really like the, the repeated capital element of this where just the guy kind of oh yeah the doctor <laughs> the, the doctor gets 20 denarii out of them for it's like well i, I could put her to sleep with some poppy juice so give me 20 denarii and you can take and i'll give you another thing of it and it's not really an option it's like you're giving me this money and i will give you this it's a doctor's doctor, prescription this isn't a charity yeah yeah exactly not like you convents with your charity yeah so bartolomea shows up to talk to Benedetta tied to the bed. 
It's like, why are you so cruel? Like, what the shit was that about the other day? And she still admits, she's like, I want to be with you. And and they kiss, or she leans down to kiss her, because, you know, of course, Mm -hmm. she's tied to the bed. Yeah. And Benedetta has a dream of being hunted by the bandits at the start of the movie. Oh, yeah, those would be the same guys. It's the same group of dudes. Uh, one of them arrows her through her right palm. Oh, okay, yeah. So here's where it happens. <laughs> yeah, and they they've hold her, they they all hold her down, and and she's going to be sexually assaulted. But Jesus shows up. He chops the dude's blood head off with blood <laughs> and gut spraying everywhere. It's amazing. He just massacres <laughs> all of them with his sword. Yeah, <laughs> action hero Jesus strikes again. Oh, it rules. He's just chopping up all the bandits from earlier. And then she she realizes that Jesus is all bald and scarred up and she isn't even Jesus. Oh, yeah, right. The, the, like the zombie gross dude. I thought he kind of looked like Bar- Bartolomeo's father, but like not completely. I I, and he he looks a lot like Hair Star from Preacher, honestly. He's oh, got like the he does the baldness, the the weird eye. And he's like, give yourself to me. <laughs> yeah, and she's like, whoa, you're not Jesus. What the hell? Yeah, she scratches at him. He slashes at her with the sword. Uh, so she, you know, she wakes up again and has another big screaming fit. They put a bunch more opium in her. <laughs> Man, I kind of wish that was still the thing you did. Uh, that's how you deal with hysteria. Just get real stoned. <laughs> So the, then later on, they're expanding her room because she's getting a cellmate. Uh, Bartolomea has volunteered to be her caretaker. Giggity. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they bring in the old cabinet that we saw the virgin statue and childhood dress being placed in uh, at the opening when the stuff was taken away from her. And, you know, it's been like 18 years. I'm sure it's not still in the drawer there. I mean, I guess it is because they don't really it do is, anything though. with it. What else are they going to do with it, right? I guess. So Benedetta says that she was deceived by the devil when she hurt Bartolomea. And she's really glad to have her here, and she's sorry. But she, okay, lied. That's an obvious lie because she really did believe that it's like, oh, no, Father said this is what you do. Yeah. Uh, not the devil. Well, she, uh, I, Arguably, uh, Father Riccolardi, or oh man, he's got a weird name. I can never quite get it. Maybe she is uh, deciding that Father Ricordati is uh, not to be trusted. That like this vision, this vision is suggesting that maybe. Oh, maybe. Or maybe that there's maybe even that there's more elements in the church that can't be trusted, and not everyone who says that they're serving Jesus really is. Oh, for sure. Are, or really are. So, yeah. so Benedetta, she's also taken up doing the accounting for the Reverend Mother. She's just good with that, I guess. And, Not and surprised. She, it seems about right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And she's offering to tell to teach Bartolomea. She's like, I, I'm not good at learning. She doesn't know numbers or reading or anything. Mm-hmm. So she's like, yeah, I don't know. So, you know, it's it's the end of the night. Benedetta pulls the very, very thin sheer curtain between their beds. <laughs> oh, man. It might as well not even be there. 
Right. And even so, Bartolome is like, what, I'm not allowed to look? <laughs> and uh, Bennett is like, no, I mean, you're, we're not allowed to see be seen nude. That's against the rules. And then when her back's turned, uh, Bartolome, like, pulls her robe onto the floor just past the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> right. So she has to go past it while naked to get at it. Just to reach down. Mm. Uh, so she's like, saw you. <laughs> And oh then, god, like, it's like the guys who like drop their pen so that the girl has to bend over to grab it. It's kind of like that. She, like she's having a lot of fun with it. <laughs> like she she does the saw you and she, uh the, like Benedetta turns the lights out and she's still lying there and it's like I saw your breasts. I saw them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like still repeating it while they're going to sleep. And then Benedetta has another vision that night of Christ on the cross. Oh, yeah, this one, he looks more like a little bit more like like typical Christ rather than, you know, classic muscle. Yeah, I mean, you know, on the cross, Christ, very classical. Yeah, the, that one. And he's like, I want you to suffer for me and also take your clothes off. <laughs> yeah, and, it's it's literally that. And yeah, take mine off, too. Yeah, take mine off, too. And very notably, he has no penis. Oh, yeah, I forgot that little uh, important detail. Which I would suppose that growing up in the convent, maybe she has never seen one. She may only be aware of uh, female anatomy. That is an interesting thought. I never thought about that, but yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Because I don't think, yeah, I don't think uh, her family would have, done anything like gross like that yeah no her family seems pretty on the up and up uh and then there there's this thing because the the form of penetration we get is with the hands Mm -hmm. so this is where he says take my hand uh and she uh impales it on the nail on the cross uh and then she wakes up out of the dream and she runs into the curtain and falls over, and we see Bartolomea go to help her. And oh my God, it's miracle number three. She She's, has the stigmata. She has the stigmata. Now she has to get glasses, and it uh, sucks if she tries to drive at night. Uh, I have the astigmatism. It stinks. Oh really? Uh, oh, it's 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 a real drag. I have like severe astigmatism in one eye. Oh shit, that sucks. Uh, so she goes to the head nuns. And she shows off, you know, she's got this full range of stigmata wounds. Look at this. We got the, we got both hands. We got both feet. There's this big, deep one in the side. They won't stop bleeding. They're really bad cuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that they're just like the stigmata because I researched them and did it myself. I mean, you know. And Bartolomea totally backs her up. She's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I heard Jesus. I heard him talking to her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, this is. Yeah, she sure. does this a few times. Yeah, she's willing to back her up. And the wounds are really deep and won't stop bleeding, which is like, you know, they're they're like, hey, it's, I mean, this, this sure seems like classical stigmata. It, it seems to be something that she couldn't have just done herself. And they're like, well, hold on a sec. This isn't all the stigmata. Where's the, the crown of thorns wounds? There's no wounds on the head. Oh, yeah, then uh, Benedetta is like, uh, um, 
One sec, I'll be right back. And and like the the provost or whatever is there with the Reverend Mother, and he's convinced. The, the oh, Reverend yeah, Mother's he's... like, I don't know about this miracle stuff. So much paperwork. No, but think about how much uh, tourism this will bring. Yeah, he's like, this is, this is going to be good for business. It could put Pressy on the map. I've sold miracles to Brockway, North and Haverbrook, <laughs> Ogdenville. <laughs> yeah, and she's like, no, you don't understand. This is going to cause problems. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> I'm the man and I'm in charge. Yeah, and outside, praying to the Virgin, Benedetta apparently manifests the last stigmata. We, we cut to that it already manifested. Yes. Uh, and notably, she screams blasphemy in her man voice. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, you know, people can actually do that. It's not like exorcist mm-hmm. voice. Yeah, yeah she, but it's, she, it's a very masculine voice that does not sound like it's hers. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, notably. Know, somebody could do that with practice. Sure. But notably, she's screaming blasphemy, which kind of suggests that she's hearing the business talk that's going on in uh, closed quarters. Mm-hmm. Like she's responding to it, which she theoretically wouldn't have been able to hear that. And she says, Pressy, or yeah, Pressia has only been spared plague because of his bride, you know, speaking in the voice of Jesus regarding her. Yeah. Yeah. You know, thundering, commanding, booming, screaming Jesus. Yeah. And someone notices, a few people maybe notice that there's some broken glass at the foot of the statue. So the Reverend Mother is still not too convinced. But the but provost very, is like, we're like, doing oh, it. No, no, man. Yeah, no, we're, we're going to throw it forward with this. And also, like, locals are start like, it's it's getting out. We uh-huh. see people leaving stuff for uh, Santa Benedetta. So, like, they're already considering her a saint locally. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Reverend Mother's like, oh, my God, come on. This is... I know where this is going. Well, and Christina, is, this is where she really sort of comes into the story, and she's very mm-hmm. suspicious. She goes to talk to the Reverend Mother, who's like, look, God works in mysterious ways, okay? This is just what we're doing, so just shut up and deal with it. It's it's the wizard did it of Christianity. God works in mysterious ways. Yeah, it's basically like, well, no, she, she cut herself on the glass, and it's like, look, church politics— we're just gonna have to believe it. Yeah, and it's like, did you actually see her? And it's like, no, I didn't see her, but I know it. And it's like, it's not good enough. Mm-hmm. So you're telling me that you didn't see her? Yeah. Yes. And that's very important. <laughs> that is extremely important. Yeah. Uh, and she also says, like, I won't back you up. <laughs> or maybe that's a little bit later, I think. Uh, I think it's a bit later, but she does yeah. say, like, yeah. If if you pursue this, I can't help you. I won't back you up. Yeah. And so, then she ends up later on pursuing it and then looking to her, expecting her to back her up. Stupid. She she made a lot of wrong choices. Yeah. So it's later that night. We have another Jesus uh, thing where he gives Benedetta his heart, like physically gives her his giant heart. It's too big for her chest. <laughs> oh, yeah. So she wakes up Bartolomea. It's like. Jesus gave me a new heart. It's so big, it can't fit. Yeah, feel she, my she, heart. And she like bears her breasts and opens it up and is like, you have to feel it. <laughs> it's like, wow, your boobs did get bigger. 
Well, and like it's through the curtain still, the very yeah. sheer curtain, and like Bertolome is caressing her through the curtains. Like I feel it. <laughs> <laughs> Can I keep feeling it for a bit? Well, yeah, they do, but they start making a little bit of noise, and then a whole bunch of nuns come running. It's like, oh my god, uh, do it! It was just a nightmare. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing. No, you you should see it. Benedetta has Jesus's heart. You should all feel. <laughs> see, Benedetta maybe, but Bartolomea never. No, no, definitely not. And Benedetta, no, not really, because this was really just a. I want it's an hard for to it. say. Bartolome, like Benedetta, she is very willing to believe most of what she believes, you know? Yeah. So mass the next morning, the provost is like, I got great news. Miracles. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. We've chosen a new abbess for the convent of the Theatines. It's going to be Benedetta. And Christine is like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. And uh, Reverend Mother's just like, yeah. Yeah. Her her mother's like, chill, chill. Don't don't make a fuss. I, oh, I'll yeah. Cause she, down. <laughs> yeah. Because she's like on the organ and she literally does like the world's first record scratch. She just goes. Yeah. Dang. She like goes off on this whole big speech. Well, she and, starts yeah. to. She starts, starts, she's like, to. I would like, and like, her mom's like, <clears throat> I'm stepping down, it's Sit cool. back Sit. down now. Chill out, chill out. Uh, so then <laughs> Benedetta and Bartolomea start to get settled in the new headquarters. Oh, the bed is so big and bouncy. It's an actual bed. <laughs> an actual bed, yes. Yeah. But unfortunately, Sister Jacopo has fallen very ill. Oh, no. Uh, oh, so, yeah, that's, so that's who. OK. Yeah. Jacopo is the one who, you know, she she had the burns and whatever. She she was really messed up. Yeah. Yeah. So the the uh, the former reverend mother is supposed to be staying with her. But Benedetta is like, well, you're going to have to leave uh, to attend my first Vespers because uh, Jesus said you should be there. And Christina's like, well, can I stay? It's like, oh, yeah, Jesus don't give a fuck about you. Yeah, it's like, Jesus didn't mention you. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, n nobody gives a shit about you, Christina. Do whatever you want to do. So w when she's staying, like, Christina and her mom are there with Jacopo. And her mom's like, look, it, this is all good for the convent. Just don't worry about it. Just stop being crazy about this. It can only do you harm. She's like, yeah, just, I, I'm Sister Felicita now. <laughs> I'm not the just, abbess. Yeah, just play along with the church politics. It sucks, but it's better than not playing along with church politics. Well, she she isn't even like, it sucks. It's like, look, this is good for the convent. This is going to raise our stature. This will get us more money. This is going to have more power for the town. Like, this, this is all to the good. You know, uh, yeah. I may not be on top, but I'm a nun. You know, we're, we don't have money here. It's It's not a... Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, it is a business, but yeah. Well, it is, but you know, here in this conversation, it isn't. Well, and Just, it's like Chris, Christina. What did you think? Did you think you were in line as like part of the family line? You hall monitor. <laughs> yeah. Did you think you were going to be a nepotism hire? Yeah. I like. I'm not on Christina's side, honestly. I'm really never on Christina's side. She is just. She is putting her nose into something in a foolish way, and it just only comes back on her. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, she's right, but she's bad. Yeah. She's right, but she sucks. She's right, but it's like, get over it. <laughs> You're just making problems uh, for yourself, as it would turn out. And and this is where she says, look, I'm not going to defend you if you pursue this. If you denounce her, you're on your own and it's not going to go well for you. Yep. Uh, so she leaves because she has to go to Vespers. But uh, Christina can just stay there. Uh, and Jacopo dies in Christina's arms. And notably, her last word is lies. Yep. So, you know, if I was Christina, that might. Maybe. That might push me. I I get it. That's that's like her message from God. Well, it's whose lies, right? But I, I kind of uh, feel that maybe she's identifying what <laughs> what Benedetta's sin is, right? Well, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Right. That's probably so, it, right there. So this is, Christina immediately goes to confession to denounce Benedetta, which and the father's like, "Whoa, you don't. Like, this is whoa, confession, not accusation yeah. hour." Yeah, are you, are you kidding me here? No. Okay, well, my sin is I didn't denounce her before. <laughs> and I, because I witnessed it. I saw it personally with my own eyes. I, I saw her faking it. Oh. It's like, oh, well, well, that's that's different, I guess. Are you sure? It's like, yep, uh, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, as, as soon as she, like, as, she, as soon as she lied, I was like, oh, no. First of all. You're putting yourself on the uh, on the hot seat here. Second of all, what if it turns out that you're wrong and she didn't use glass and it was some other thing altogether that happened? Altogether, yourself. Yeah, it, it was it yeah. was an extremely bad choice. She should have just gone with her original thing. Is like, no, I didn't see it, but come on. Yeah, and and that would have been fine. And they would have said it was like, we get it, but politics, and just shut up. <laughs> and it would have been better for everybody. And get out of my face. Yeah. Uh, Would have worked out much better. So Benedetta teaches Bartolomea numbers. And uh, it's it's more just kind of uh, uh, an excuse to hold hands. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. She's. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't really tell that that's what they were doing at first because her numbers are. I mean, she's just learning it. It's tough. She's never sloppy writing it. I've been doing it forever. Yeah. She's writing for the first time as a late teenager. And so they, they start kissing, obviously, and they kiss so hard that Benedetta's mouth gets cut from their teeth. <laughs> yeah, which, uh, which you know, the, the other one, uh, Bartolomea just licks it right up. Yeah, this is sort of like the first real sex scene in the movie. Like this, this one kind of goes hard because, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Bartolomea is now able to lock the door. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's, that's. That's what tips it over. They couldn't do that before. Yeah. This kind of all seems like, you know, it's like, well, how do we get a place to ourselves where we can have fun? It's like, become the abbess. Like, how do we do that? More miracles, <laughs> baby. So, yeah, they, they you know, they, they get it on. Uh, she. They do. She lifts Benedetta's robe over her face and is like kissing her through the robe with like her head all wrapped up in her dress. Mm hmm. And yeah, they they have a whole thing. I, it's I a don't, whole thing. I don't know if we see anyone peeping this time. Not I think this, this is time. the next time. Yeah, because uh, notably when uh, 
the Reverend Mother moved out, she just slid away a thing that was blocking a peephole when she moved out of yeah. the room and then just left. Right. To yeah. So yeah, so, uh, allow her to get into it. Yeah. So we know that a peephole exists. Right. Uh, gr- great scene. Hot scene. The, the sort oh of scene we did it's... not get in Carol, right? No, we did, didn't we? There was sex. I don't know if it was this much sex, but there that's, was. That, that's what I'm saying is that the, like there was an alluded to scene. This is a full on scene. This is a sex. Well, that, okay. Yes, uh, I see. I, I understand. Because it's an difference. exploitation movie, right? It's not. It's not trying to be uh, a Tony Award winning thing. Even though like it sort of uh, sets itself up with that level of quality, it's like this is still an exploitation movie. They do spend a lot of time naked after this. Quite a bit. So next morning at breakfast, Father uh, Ricordati is like, so Christina had some grievances that she wanted to air in front of everybody. And she's like, I did? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, well, yeah, your sin was that you didn't tell everyone. So, hey, you can, can fix that right now. Okay, and she looks to her mother, who shakes her head and's like, "No, no, not gonna, <laughs> the, no, don't do it." Yeah, the most uh, disapproving Marge Simpson look you can imagine. Yeah, and she gives her accusations, and she says that she told the abbess, but she didn't. We know she did she not. Didn't. Yeah, and Felicity's like, "Gotta say, uh, no, no." She did not sit, tell me that. Uh, uh, she specifically said that she did not see this and no. instead said, but come on. <laughs> and the, here she does go. It's like, well, OK, I didn't. But come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. It's like, but you just you're bearing false witness. That's that's uh, that's one of those things that we uh, we don't like in the yeah. church. And Benedetta gets her Christ voice going. She, she's like, she has, she must be punished. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they get out there. Uh, no, she said, she, she says oh. she must be punished by self flagellation. So they, they give her the, the, the whip to whip herself. The flagellator 9,000. And she's got to do yeah. it herself. Yeah. And uh, you, you can see Benedetta getting excited. Both Benedetta and Bartolomea, we see both of them being kind of into it, and it's it's brutal. Like she's really shredding her back. Oh yeah, like I didn't, I didn't realize. I, it still always surprises me how brutal whips actually are because it just looks like it's like it's just rope. It shouldn't hurt, but it does. And well, yeah, every like time think, I see it, it's like, oh yeah, that's right. Like think how much a towel snap can hurt, and that's like not designed for it. This oh. is something that's like designed to feel like a really nasty towel slap. A lot. Heavy. Mm-hmm. So we cut to later in their room where we reveal what's happened with the virgin statue. <laughs> yeah, because the problem was her hand, uh, as was discussed the last time they had sex, her hand can't go far enough or it can't go in deep enough because it's too big. Hands too big. They can only get the fingers in as far as, as long as the fingers are. You know, so, sex logistics. I'm I'm an yeah. expert at this. I know all about the, the 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 sex and the doing it of the of the sex. Great. So <laughs> they uh, uh, Bartolomea 
having some knowledge of the outside world, has carved the bottom half of the Virgin statue into a dildo. Look what I did with your mother's heirloom. And she's into it. It's like, oh, cool. Oh, man, I can't wait to use this. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, that's awesome. Oh, uh, and hold we, on, hold on. It's a little rough here. Oh, I'll fix that yeah. immediately. Ooh, oh, my God. Yeah, here, l- let me deal with that. And we see that someone is peeping now. Uh, presumably Sister Felicita. Yes, it, it has to be Felicita. Yeah, the former, former Rutherford mother. So they kiss and they're trying out the dildo and the sky turns red. <laughs> yeah, um, I kind of have to wonder about uh, some of the stuff here because Benedetta did not con the sky into being red. No, obviously. But she I, used it. Of course. And and the, that's the thing is that she's very good at using what's going on. Uh, but yeah, a comet is passing directly over. So it turns the sky totally red. Uh, then, Christina, meanwhile, has been climbing up on the roof. Oh, yes. Yes. This. Uh, this bit. Another uh, little little parallel uh, to our next movie, although this one ends differently. A little bit. A little bit. So she she's up on the roof and like they're all calling out and uh, she just she commits suicide. She jumps off the roof just before uh, Felicita can get to her. Yeah, and it's it's a long shot, so it's not like one of those really funny dummy falls. It's more like just, just yeah, just a long shot of somebody just falling, and you don't see the landing. But it's like, I don't know why it started to bother me, people falling off buildings now. It hmm. never used to. I don't know why now, like just in the last few years, it does. Hmm, I don't know. Maybe uh, reflecting on 9-11. So, I'm sure that's it. Might have something to do with it. So... She dies and or well, Benedetta runs up to her and caresses her cheek and then she dies. And Felicita gets there after because she's had to come down the stairs from the roof and she immediately gets in a brawl with Benedetta. It's Mm -hmm. like, take your hands off her. So this is like she was holding it together pretty well. And I I get it here because it's her daughter. Yeah. And pretty it's even though it's uh, Christina's fault, it's pretty also benedetta's fault yeah some of it is benedetta's fault like she didn't need to uh publicly uh brutalize her like that uh and she knows that they were kind of turned on by the brutalization of her because they were talking about it Mm -hmm. so yeah now she has some actual evidence well she thinks she does yeah Yeah. but again you know it's just a she said she said Mm -hmm. uh and she leaves the convent in disguise that night. She's like, okay, I, I actually have to get out of here. Now that I've challenged her and denounced her, I I actually literally can't stay here. <laughs> yeah, I put hands on the saint. That's not good. I screwed this up. I got to go. So then Benedetta and Bartolomea talk about miracles. This is where she's finally starting like, so all this stuff you're doing, like you're doing this, right? This is not like, th- these are hoaxes. And Bennett is like, I don't know. I don't know how it happens. <laughs> and she's like, oh, my God, come on. You can, you can tell me nobody's listening, probably. She's really troubled because she's like, look, what the stuff could come out about us. You know, it could be really bad. Mm-hmm. We, we have this weird masturbation into prayer scene. Oh, yeah. Um, hmm. <laughs> 
because Benedetta is masturbating and then starts praying uh, and has another vision. But this is the first vision that we don't see visualized. Yeah, we kind of stop seeing the visions right around here. Uh, I don't think we see another one. Which arguably, in terms of the film language, could mean that up to this point, they have all been authentic within mm-hmm. the universe of the film. And that after this, maybe they're just her maneuvering with what she has. Maybe. Um, I, I do think... Because it's a long con here. Like, she knows oh, yeah. what she's doing right away because she's like, okay, uh, the sisters have to dig a grave. And I've got oh, some yeah, more plans. Right. We're not going to hear about them until they're in motion. Oh, right. This is one where she breaks down. She's like, no, don't ask me to do that. Yeah. And then just immediately snaps back to normal. Like, okay, we got to dig graves. Yeah, the, the sisters are going to need to dig a big grave. Get ready. Get some stuff ready. And so we cut to what's what's going on with Felicita while they're getting stuff ready. She arrives in Florence, which is totally ravaged by plague. Oh, yeah. This is like the whole, like, they've got the doctors, they've got the corpse wagons, the death trenches. Uh, it's fucked here. Yeah, you, you see, like, uh, uh, people self-flagellating and, like, you, you have, like, the wandering penitents all beating themselves. Uh, it's dystopian. Uh-huh. As she she goes to see the bishop or the bishopric, I think is technically his uh, uh, his, uh the nuncio, the nuncio or the nonce, the nonce, which is funny because that's a uh, British slang for a pedophile. Oh, yeah. And just and okay. everyone calls him a nonce, which is yeah, that that's kind of funny because he <laughs> is the villain of the movie, but he really thinks he's the hero. Yeah, he's wannabe witch hammer. Oh, yeah, definitely wannabe Witchhammer. He just doesn't uh, – he puts on more of a show, he gets a little less bored, and he's not drunk 100% of the time. Yeah, and it doesn't work out for him. <laughs> he, he kind uh, of actually reminds me of if Agent Smith were in the from The Matrix were in the Catholic Church. Yeah, or more so than Agent Smith, I'd say uh, the Merovingian. <laughs> oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like that the lady of his house is, like, very heavily pregnant. I think she's kind of supposed to be his wife or something. Like, I don't think he's allowed to have a wife, but she seems to be carrying his child, and she, like, squirts milk at Felicita. <laughs> yeah. She's like, look, I'm already lactating. Check this out. And I was like, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I came here and he's got like his super fancy like robe pajamas on and this is the first time we've seen any kind of actual opulence because the convent is just stone walls but here we've got like all the paintings and all the oh gold filigree it looks beautiful yeah yeah I mean it's Florence you know the heart of the renaissance oh yeah okay so the the nuncio's like you have no proof you realize that right yeah, but I actually saw instead of... Uh... Right. He's like, well, I'll go see. And uh, if she's guilty, I'll burn her. But, you know, if you're giving false witness, it's going to go bad for you. You realize that. And and I like it. It's it's exactly the same thing that she told Christina. It's like, this is going to backfire on you if you're uh, lying or if you're doing this wrong. Yeah, and it's... it's like, it turns out well, it's already backfired on her. Oh, Completely. It's already it's already too late. Yeah, it, it was a big mistake coming here at all. 
Yeah. So so in Pesia, they're holding this huge procession under the comet. Uh, and right. the provost, uh, our, our guy who is really behind the miracle. Oh, yeah. The guy is like, well, yeah, the one who super believed it and made it official. Yeah. He, he's like, it's God's judgment. The plague is coming here. And Benedetta comes out and she kneels and she kisses the ground right in front of the crucifix, like the giant crucifix yeah. in the, in the square. And she she thanks Jesus. It's like. Don't fear, people. The comet is a sign of the Lord's protection of Pescia. I don't uh, know. Comets have been bad omens for centuries. They're like, no, no. I, I had a vision. Uh, listen, armed guards, you're just going to shut the city gates completely. Don't allow anyone entry. Don't restrict my freedoms. Actually, the, the people in town were all in on this. Oh, yeah. They're, they're all like, oh, yeah, this is actually maybe a great idea. Let's not let the plague in here. Sure. Yeah, let's... You know, that's actually pop, smart, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Someone thought of it. Well, you know, I'll be damned. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she she's uh, she's creating social distancing. Yeah, and and like they're they they kind of get with it right away. All of the guards yeah. are like, huh? You know, we're gonna follow that order. Come to think of it, <laughs> that's, this that's a good idea. This one makes some sense. Yeah. Let's hope nobody uh, catapults corpses over the walls. But uh, I mean, that's that that's a big danger you have. here. Yeah, shouldn't happen. So she walks away and she seems to collapse and die. Uh, yep. Well, she is definitely, definitely really dead. Oh, for sure. And we cut to mass plague graves and the flagellants on the march as the nuncio and Felicita head back from Florence. Yep. And. Uh, and the everybody guards. wants to touch him. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. The person's like, person's like, hey, uh, can you do the absolution for me? I'm no, really get, gross. <laughs> no, go get your local priest to do it. And but he's the he, I he's, am he's, the local priest. He's like just shirtless, covered in buboes. He's ragged. He looks so yeah. gross. I am Pagliacci. Yeah, he he is the parish <laughs> priest. And when they get to Pescia, they're like, no, can't let you in. It's like, I'm the nuncio. And like, yeah, yeah, but no. <laughs> Saint Benedetta said, so we can't even let the Pope in. And the provost. Jesus says. Yeah. Like, sorry, nobody's getting in here. Jesus overrules everybody. And, and the provost goes out to greet them. And he's like, no, I'm not going to let you in. But, you know, I'll come say hello. Yeah. It's like, I, I'm sorry to tell you, Benedetta has already died. So whatever you're here for, it doesn't matter. Uh, but uh, the the nuncio is like, well, we're going to stay here and attend the funeral. Yeah. He's like, no, no, I'm you're not. <laughs> and he's basically just like, I'm the fucking nuncio. I'm coming in. Yeah. And they they all get in a fighting stance and they're like, ah, I mean, if we we can't kill the nuncio, that's probably going to be bad for us. Fuck. Fine. Just come in. And and things are weird. Things are kind of surreal when they come in because we see all these girls in angel costumes giggling and getting prepared. And the Nuncio's like, is this how you fuckers mourn? And it's no, like, well, it's this whole thing. Benedetta planned it all out in advance. She knew that she was about to die. Oh, OK. And yeah, she wanted to have uh, nine girls in angel costumes carry her coffin. <laughs> And Nuncio's like, oh, well, this definitely seems like it's on the up and up. I'm not going to worry, but no, no, he was not. 
Well, he he does go and examine her, and yeah. he's like, okay, yeah, she's dead, and I'm. He starts to administer her last rites, and miracle number five takes place. She comes she back to life. Comes back to life. Her yeah, eyes open. Uh, she screams, "Jesus, hold on to me! Don't let me go back." <laughs> I was in heaven, but I came back. It was I saw so it for good real. There. Oh, heaven is real. I can prove it. Oh, what was I, that kid? Yeah, because that's who I was thinking of too. It's <laughs> like, let's go on the talk show circuit. <laughs> Although yeah, that was more the parents than the kid, to be oh, fair. Oh, probably. Oh no, definitely. I'm sure the kid hated that shit. I'm pretty sure it has come out since then that he has spoken out against it and it was all a thing with the parents. But anyway, she's like, I saw the souls of those soon to die. It's all of you. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, it's like, you'll live as long as I do. Yeah. Uh, And the nuncio, he drops the charges on her. Like, you're charged with blasphemy and bestiality. (laughs) It's like, yeah, heresy, blasphemy, and bestiality. Hey, I didn't do any bestiality. Like, I don't think so. And and they search the chambers and they're they come up totally uh, uh, empty handed. There's there's nothing. They're unable to locate the dildo that they know was there because uh, Felicita saw it. Mm-hmm. And so Bartolomea is talking with her like, well, what are you going to tell them? She's like, well, the truth. What else? <laughs> yeah <laughs> like you could tell them something else <laughs> uh but they they take bartolomea first uh to uh, be accused by felicita yeah and someone points out notably that it's like hey you know that spying on the mother superior is also a sin yeah and the the Nuncio is like, yeah, no, we will address that. I'm not saying that this is the end of everything. This is the beginning of everything. I'm going to yeah, set up like, a whole witch hammer. <laughs> yeah, oh, this is going to be great. Uh, I, I could make out like a bandit here. It's like, yeah, no, we're, we're going to deal with this trial first. Uh, I, I agree that that's not cool. Uh, we'll get to it. And so, like, the Mother Superior gives her whole spiel. She She says what she saw, but she's really unwilling to say anything explicit. She, she really dances around the issue. And Bartolome is like, I don't understand what she meant. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I don't get a it. simple girl. I don't know these uh, big city metaphors. And I, I think it's the, the provost who keeps saying like, this is ridiculous. Like he's the one who said, you know, spying on the mother superior is a sin too. Yeah. Uh, and he's like lust between women. <laughs> It's impossible. <laughs> impossible. Come on. What are you talking about? That's never happened. That's not even a thing. And she says, I, I looked upon her with love, not lust. Uh, and the, the dildo thing is completely untrue. Uh, I have nothing to confess, Your Excellency. So, of course, okay. they torture her. Of course. Oh, man. The, the torture thing. I I don't the like pear. it. The pair. The pair. Yeah, it's pretty nasty. They they strip her, they chain her to a table, and they're like, "You have to confess." It's like, I okay, I, yeah, I confess. I wanted Sister Juliana dead. I I think she sucks and I hate her. <laughs> oh my God, you know that this that's not what this is about. And, and one thing I like is like she even asks him like, "Hey, if you already know supposedly, why do you need the confession?" Yeah, because I say it didn't happen. So if you're just going to hurt me until i say that what you said happened happened how does that work 
and they throw a bunch of water on paperwork. Yeah. They, they splash her with cold water and they threaten her with the pair of anguish. Which, uh, oh God, that thing. I Fucking medieval torture implements, man. I don't even know oh, if they're all gross. real because I've never oh, it seen is. it before. Yeah, no, it's but, real. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Of course it. it's real. So yeah, it's an expanding thing that they put inside her. Uh, yeah. And she screams as as like they're, they all leave. Like all of them but the torturer leave uh, because, you know, they're, this isn't, they're not like the witch hammer guy. They're too highfalutin to actually sit and watch such, such a thing. Yeah. And she's and screaming like, I've already confessed. There, There's nothing else for me to confess to. And they can hear the screaming throughout the whole convent. And Felicita is uh, really conflicted. She throws up listening to the screams. Throws up blood. Though. She throws up a bunch of blood. A lot uh, of blood. She's like, thought, oh, that's not good. Uh, see, I thought maybe that was like her getting a stigmata, but uh, <laughs> that's something else. I think she knows immediately that it's plague, but I think her immediate interpretation of it is that like, oh, I am receiving divine punishment for uh, doing this. Uh, like th- this was a mistake from beginning to end. This is exactly what I told my daughter not to do. And now here I am doing it and I've screwed myself. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, she, absolutely. She immediately does fall on Benedetta's side from this point. Mm-hmm. So Benedetta talks to the nuncio because uh, he, he wants to know about her interpretation of love. Because, you know, there was the thing about I looked on her with love, but not lust. Yeah, it's like. Yes, I do love uh, Bartolomeo, but I also love Jesus. Oh, so Jesus has to share. Jesus shares with everybody, doesn't he? Yeah, that's his whole thing. Uh, Jesus shares salvation with everybody. And it's like, look, the the thing about love is about not feeling alone. And and she's very penitent. She washes his feet. And Although she notices something when she does. She notices a little uh, nasty sore. Yeah, and just like, a... She says, my only desire is for God. And he is really trying to be a witch hammer. Like he's trying to be like the skeezy guy and the witch hammer. He's like, oh, you have a whore's talents because like she's washing his feet. And he's like, how do you know what a whore talent is? I I hardly can uh, claim to have the whore's talents. And I wouldn't. I won't ask how you came to know what those would be like. Yeah. And it pretty much shuts him down. He he, <laughs> he doesn't really have any sort of uh, comeback for that. And that's when she finds the spot. Yeah. And she's like, look, through Bartolomea, I find universal love. So she sort of admits there that there is kind of a particularity to her love for Bartolomea. Yeah. Yeah. But she doesn't. She doesn't seem to be like she's still definitely very much holding back and not being specific. Well, I, I wouldn't even say it's that. It's that she feels completely justified. There, there's oh, no that point. Too. Yeah, there, there's just she doesn't feel she has anything to confess to. She feels that like, yeah, I'm doing the things that I've discussed with Jesus and like we have an open marriage of Jesus and I look, <laughs> it's fine. It's not cheating if it's not against the rules. Right. So they bring in Bartolomea. She's all bloody. She's been beaten up and she's confessed. Uh, yeah, she and, points right to where the dildo is. Yeah, it's hidden in a cutout in a in a big Bible, which is also funny. <laughs> I laughed at that. I was like, oh, man, is she going to get double? Uh... For like wrecking up the Bible, too? This yeah. Is a big, expensive Bible. 
Oh yeah, well, it had to all be copied out by hand back then. That's yeah, what hand like, monks and nuns did. Right. So Benedetta immediately starts yelling in her Jesus voice, obviously. Blaspheme. Yeah. <laughs> you blaspheme! You've been judged for mocking and attacking my bride. And she curses the nuncio with plague. I mean, that's a pretty safe bet. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> she knows she's uh, making a real a strong gamble right there. Yeah. And she goes to see Felicita. Because Felicita developed her symptoms during the torture, notably. And I, I like that this movie kind of holds a little bit of ambiguity. It's like, at every point, it keeps it ambiguous where maybe it is a miracle. <laughs> maybe it is divine judgment. It does keep it ambiguous. I don't believe that it's meant to be... T- well, I guess it could be taken that way. I don't think it's meant to be, but I could be wrong. I think it's supposed to be ambiguous. Like, I think yeah. it's just genuinely supposed to not be one way or the other. So they lock Benedetta in a room and they put Bartolomea out. You know, they, they you know dress her in rags and she talks to Sister Petra about like, look, don't worry about it. Humiliation doesn't leave a mark. Because she's, yeah. she's been kicked out of the convent, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, with the just the burlap sack that she came in with. Yeah. And, and she has to take a walk of shame. People are, like, throwing fruit at her and stuff. But she quickly steals a robe and takes off. <laughs> yep. She's resourceful. She knows how to live outside. Been there, done that. Yeah. And the provost is like, look, the people of Pescia are not going to let you burn Benedetta. I'm warning you. <laughs> and the and the nuncio is basically like, since when has the Catholic Church ever given a fuck about what the people want? Yeah, he says, look, it's a mandatory sentence. Uh, that's just how it goes. It's like <laughs> we have dude. to do this. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, it's it's I mean, it's it's your problem, man. And he he puts the stamp on the the uh, order, and then they leave. And he opens up his shirt, and there's a huge boobo right there in yeah. his chest, and like, oh shit. He's like, I, I'm getting the retribution. <laughs> it, it did happen. She did curse me. Well, maybe I can get her killed before I go. So Petra comes in and she says, Benedetta has a couple requests. Uh, she wants to pray with Felicita. He's like, yeah, cool, whatever. Uh, and she wants to be carried into the square on a donkey like Jesus when he entered Jerusalem. It's like... <laughs> She's no, just no. like obviously not. Obviously not. It's like we are absolutely not. not doing this. She can have her stupid little scene with her, with the it's other. Like yeah. She can pray with Although, Felicity. Yeah. <laughs> Although that's the funny thing because she's using like the like a no negotiation technique technique of if you want something, ask for it along with something else that's completely yeah. out there so that the thing you want will seem reasonable. Well, she's doing the clever thing every time. Like she yeah. always knows the best way to go. Yeah, she played this guy like a fiddle. So she goes to Felicita, and she's like, look, Christina waits for you at Christ's side. He's like, I don't believe you. And she complains, God never spoke to me the way he does to you. And Benedetta's like, look, he's speaking to you right now through the pain you're experiencing. Oh, God is very loquacious then. I love that line. Good line. And, And Felicita's like, Okay, I believe you. Uh, what is God saying to you now? And very interesting thing, she whispers it in her ear, and we don't hear what it is. Yeah, we don't hear what's said. But it works. We know that it works. So yep. we, we, we cut to 
the big day where she's gonna get burned it's definitely gonna work out for the nuncio absolutely she's she's let out into the square and she screams or no a bartolomea is screaming for her forgiveness I'm sorry, please forgive me. I, I'm I, I'm so sorry for testifying against you. And she's like, look, it's fine. I had to be betrayed. It was it was part of the arc. <laughs> I I needed a cool. Judas. Yeah. Just uh maybe don't hang yourself because we're gonna we're gonna yeah, do just bow, bow, bow later. Yeah, like just just stick around. I I've got plans. You know me. Uh and I mean God has plans, wink wink. Yeah, you know, I'm working something out. Just you know, sit tight. Uh, the the crowd is notably very unruly. They're not. Yeah. They're not for this, uh, which which uh, is is already a bad situation for the nuncio. He does not realize how much the crowd is not not with him. And he's got like his super elegant freaking robes oh, that are worth more than the combined value of everybody's house. Yeah, he's dressed up really, really nice and pressy. And it, Real and, pretentious. And he's like, he sees that the crowd doesn't like him. And he sees that the crowd is with Benedetta. And he's like, okay, listen, I'm going to hang you instead of burning you uh, to make it easier. But you just need to give a confession first. She's like, okay, I'll confess. <laughs> <laughs> and she confesses to the crowd, I'm sorry that I couldn't save you, Pescia. And she raises her hands, and she's got the stigmata again. Oh, it's happening again! And she pulls out her Jesus voice, screaming, None shall be spared! <laughs> <laughs> she's good at working a crowd. She should have been a pro uh, wrestler. Oh my god, yes. Oh my Sister god, Sister yes. Benedetta, angel of death. Uh, yeah, she, she says she's the angel of... Or no, she says the angel of death walks among you. And out comes Felicita. Yeah, with her, like, she's got, like, a Grim Reaper cloak for a second. Yeah, she's in a shroud, and she tears it off to reveal all the boobos. Yeah, Uh, and everyone's just like, oh, fuck. And she says, this is the fault, this is the nuncio. He is, he brought this upon you. Like, he is the cause of this. We need to strike him down. And he's like, okay, okay, we we better hurry this up. Take her to the stake. We we can't do the thing anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and the crowd starts to get really angry and booing him. And Bartolome is like, if she dies, we'll all be cursed. It's the nuncio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they they turn they completely turn on him. Yeah, and they they get the executioner first. They throw a rock, hit him in the head. But the torch does fall on the kindling and the stake does start to burn. Yep. But the crowd just busts through the barricades. They're done with this. They they overrun all the guards. They rush the nuncio. They get Benedetta untied from uh, the stake. Uh, notably, Bartolomea uses a shard of uh, glass or broken pottery, broken pottery I think. Yeah, that, that she finds that's got blood ground. on it. Yeah. Hmm. But she, anyways, it's there to tie, untie the rope or cut the rope. So, you know, it's good, right? Well, she she like very significantly looks at it and, and uh-huh. is sort of aware of the potential significance of it. Because up to this point, she'd been back and forth. But here she was believing it. She was yeah. a believer up to this because she like just how perfectly orchestrated all this chaos was. She's like, oh, holy yeah. shit, this is for real. Mm-hmm. 
as the guards are being beaten, the nuncio's like, shit, flee, flee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They they drop their little fancy umbrella thing that they were carrying around. But Felicita's uh, waiting for him behind a wagon, and she gives him a kiss of peace. Uh, it really means death. Sloppy kiss on both cheeks. Plague kiss. Mm-hmm. And he didn't even need that because he's already got the plague and then the townspeople surround him when they see him stopped there. Yeah, they rip off his clothes and then they see the source and they're like, oh, yeah, really did like, bring the plague. Yeah, they they see all the boobos and like, you are the bad guy. And some lady just runs forward and stabs him five times in the chest. It's really bloody. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. And Benedetta shows up. She comes up to him and is like, should I pray for your soul? And he's like, can you tell me about the afterlife? He's like, yeah, you're, I, uh, you'll be there in paradise. And like, I know you're lying now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, that proves you're full of shit. Yeah, that you right lie. There. Yeah, his last, his last words are, you lie to the very end. <laughs> but it's funny. He, he gets to die knowing that it was all a falsehood and he screwed yeah. up so bad. Oh, yeah. So Bartolomea takes her hand, leads her away. Uh, they they stop to share a look with Felicita uh, over the burning stake. Really interesting shot. Mm-hmm. It's like Felicita's on one side of the burning stake and in the middle of the square and the two of them are holding hands on the other. Yeah, Felicita's got one more thing to do. Yep, she walks forward. Uh, Throws gets- herself onto that fire. She's totally consumed. I mean, probably a better way to go than the plague. Honestly. Probably maybe kills the plague, prevents it from spreading from her. I would assume so. And and I think that's maybe part of the point of it. Like, she kind of knows what she's doing. Yeah. And, like, I kind of have a feeling that maybe this is maybe what she's whispering to her. It could be totally that she believes in her or it could be a thing that she appealed to her practicality because she's always been extremely practical it's like look mm-hmm. if we don't deal with this right now this is going to tear pesky apart and the plague's going to come here we can stop this you're going to have to sacrifice yourself and it's like you're already dead so it's probably a good idea to do it and it's like yeah i i, I get that yeah it, i i figured it was something like that it tracks right yeah Oh, totally. It could very well be that they had like a big long meeting after the whispering that we just didn't see. Totally. So we we get to a later morning far from the city where uh, Benedetta and Bartolomea are asleep on the ground in just like this ruined building having a little vacation. They're they're naked under the gray cloths. Yeah. And we see just the, the city of Pescia in the far distance. Uh, where the bell's tolling and smoke is just rising. It's like, shit's crazy there. Yeah, Bartolomeo's like, all right, okay, nobody's here. Seriously, there's nobody else around. You were faking it, right? Come on. (laughs) First she comes up and, you know, they they have some kissing and stuff. And, you know, they're they're clearly having some time together, finally able to enjoy enjoy themselves. And Bennett is like, I have to go back. And it's like, no, you can't go back. They'll burn you. And she's like, no, they won't. Well, and she also says, there's nothing left there. Like we, we've, yeah. we're done this. And Benedict is like, look, I swore to live out my days there. She's like, that's all in the past. I'm like, no, not for me. 
I, I meant it. I want to live there for the rest of my life. That was, that was the whole point. Yeah. And she shouldn't have gone. I wish she, I want, I wanted her to not go back. I wanted Honestly, them to just go on like gay adventures together. But she makes a very good point. She's like, look, how are we going to feed ourselves on the road? Are we going to steal? Are we going to sell our bodies? I'm not into doing those things. Oh, so, yeah. But, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, Bartella is like, well, yeah. yeah. Back in that town, I'm a saint. That's that, This is where, where I'm established, and uh, that's where I want to live. And that's a protected town. We've dealt with the plague there now. Yeah, that's true. And and this is where she's like, look, you'll be going back to the stake. Those people who supported you before, they're going to burn you when you go back. And she's like, no, no, I'm protected. <laughs> well, she ended up being right. She's totally right. So Bartolome is like, she. this is when she brings out the pottery shard that she brought with her. It's like, look, I found this where you did it. I, I want you to finally just admit it. We're alone. There's nobody else here. Please. Just tell it to me. I need to know. And yeah, even here, she doesn't. uh, She's just like, I don't know what God does, man. And yeah, and this is kind of why I do feel that she completely believes her own bullshit. I don't think that it's necessarily a lie to her. She just kind of totally believes her own press. Oh, yeah. She drank her own Kool-Aid. Flavor aid. And she she says. I don't want you to die. I, I Please stay here with me. And then it is like, look, I know that they will burn me at the stake. That's definitely going to happen, but it's okay. The flames won't hurt me when they do it. And she kisses her goodbye. And then I feel like the the end text is hilarious, especially in, <laughs> in, in contrast to Witchhammer. It's like, uh, but she wasn't murdered. She lived to 70 happily. <laughs> like, whatever. She She lived in the convent in solitary. Uh, until the age of 70 and the plague never reached Pescia. Yeah, but she had to like, she wasn't allowed to contact anyone. If she was able to eat with it, the other sisters, she had to eat on the floor, but she spent most of her life basically, yeah, in solitary confinement until 70. Supposedly. Suppose, uh, well, yeah, according to the text, at least. Well, yeah, the, the thing is that we only know that she lived to 70 in the convent. That's really all we know about her in reality. But it's funny that, yeah, the, she came back and they're like, we we can't chance it. <laughs> yeah. We As long as she lives, uh, the, the plague won't come to Pescia. Let's keep her alive. We, we can't go wrong. Just kind of keep her off to the side here where she can't have any dramatic outbursts that alter the course of history well because ultimately everything that she's done has been of no danger to anyone except themselves like the the only problems that have arisen have been when people try to take it upon themselves to screw with her that's true and uh it really went wrong for all of them big time which kind of suggests that maybe she does have some sort of divine protection i feel like that's why the movie lives in that sort of ambiguity of Mm. just being gleefully blasphemous but also like hey maybe though <laughs> <laughs> it's okay she worked it out with muscle jesus beforehand this is all cool yeah uh so that is the end of benedetta uh it, it is replaced in the sex with killer nun <laughs> <laughs> oh is that gonna be as prestige as this not so much uh this one it's it's another 
based on fact. Actually, all of them claim to be based on fact, usually. That's a kind of a, a fun thing with nun movies, that they're always like, based on a true story. <laughs> yeah. In... Please. Are they all lesbian nun movies, or is? I mean, there's usually some element of it. It's it's got to yeah. be in there, you know. It's it's sort of necessary. Uh, this one, it's it's you know usually it'll be a bisexual nun, and certainly in this case, she's the head nurse nun. It's a religious hospital. Oh my hospital. god, that's like two. That's like a fetish two in one. Right. It's it's this religious hospital. She's completely addicted to morphine, and she's also really into. <laughs> Sex and violence, of course. Oh, okay, okay. She's she's into all of it. Just a a total, you know, uh, having all the fun she wants to have uh, and just letting everyone else do whatever they want to do. Nice. Uh, It's it's a really crazy one. I've seen this one before, but not in a few years. So, any last thoughts on Benedetta before we move on to part two? Um, Yeah, I, I really liked it, actually. I thought it was really great. It's a really um, good movie. Yeah, I, I don't like. I was expecting, like I said earlier, I was kind of expecting something on the more trashy side, but uh, no, I, I I liked it. I liked it a lot. It's a really good movie. It 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 does have the trashiness, like it it has the elements of a lot of the trashier ones, but it uh, presents them in a really uh, high class sort of way. Like I said, the gold titles on black with the opera at the start. It's like ooh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Very well acted, uh, very well directed. Just uh, uh, all of the muscle Jesus scenes are so much fun and have like just a real pulpy action feel to them. Like it does like hark back to his Robocop stuff. Yeah, I remember what I wanted to say. I thought it was really cool that like how brightly lit everything was because normally like in movies, these convents are always super dark, especially during plague time. It's just always darker when you're filming it well i think it's a period uh, piece in this kind of setting but it's i I I just liked how bright it was i think it's because typically uh they they try to emulate how it would have looked then and it would have been dark because there's no electric light you just have candlelight and it's just kind of gonna be grim and dark in most convents most of the time because there's just stone with tiny little windows that's true but i I, yeah I, i like that this didn't do that yeah, Paul Verhoeven wanted to make it look real nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's a it was a lot of fun uh, for fans of like classic nunsploitation. Obviously, it's I don't know, it, it's it's a much more prestige version of it. Like it's in prestige clothing, but it's not that much prestiged up that it can't like really have fun with it. No, no, it's it's on it's pretty much actually it's like on the level of Total Recall, I think. Yeah, I, I would say a little more than that. Like, it's probably a little higher class, but yeah, it's it's a great time. It's really silly at times, but <laughs> it's, it's so it's way more fun than I thought it would be. Yeah, uh, it's pretty cool. And it's it's so Verhoeven-y like it, it just completely uh, satisfied my Verhoeven craving, you know. Uh, it's, I, I wish he would do more movies because they're always so satisfying. L, his previous one, will have to do sometime is really fun. Too. All right. Okay, so any more uh, before we move on to part two? Uh, no, I'm good. All right. And we're back for part two, uh, where we're talking about Sound and Fury, a 1988 French film by Jean-Claude Brousseau. I keep wanting to call it The Sound and The Fury, but 
And I don't know why that seems to go together. Is there another movie that's something like that? The Fast and the Furious. uh, Could be that. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) I I like literally have written them on the front page, The Sound and The Fury, and then crossed out the the wrote, no the with circles. The Sound and The Furious. Uh, Yeah, I think (laughs) that's what you're thinking of is the car movies. Probably. This isn't like that. No, very different. Uh, this was a controversial film upon release, is my understanding. Oh. It was pretty scandalous. I bet. Yeah, uh, it's a very strange movie. It's it's sort of about juvenile delinquency, uh, which I guess was sort of an epidemic in the 80s. You, you see a lot of it in uh, European movies, especially. Mm-hmm. Or at least the people in charge wanted us to think <clears throat> it was. Yeah. Well, it was a moral panic. You know, mo- yeah. most oh, moral yeah. panics are largely false. Uh, usually there's just kernels of truth amongst them. And youth gangs are kind of a problem throughout history because it's more just there are psychopathic individuals who band together and cause problems at times uh, rather than it being a function of youth. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. So this is this is also about uh, it is an abusive relationship, but it's ridiculous it's almost like a proto columbine relationship it's it's sort of a dylan klebold jesse oh whatever you know it's it's got yeah, that kind that of flavor guy, to the, it those two I, I was thinking that between the dad and the kid but uh oh yeah. that as well yeah right yeah i mean there's a lot of bad relationships yeah, i don't uh, think I mean, there's a good one no well i mean our our main guy bruno our our main kid just has no support system whatsoever because he grew up with his grandmother and she's dead now. And now like we only get the mom through voicemail. Yeah. It's literally like, uh, like when you beat earthbound and it shows all the shows, the whole cast of characters and portraits of them. The dad is just a telephone. That's all you see. (laughs) Yeah. He he is just a telephone. Uh, Uh, the mom is just notes on a billboard and one telephone voicemail. You know, she's, she's leaving messages. We hear her voice. So, She's slightly more existent than uh, the Peanuts parents. Because we can keep understand they had her. parents. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, occasionally we would see their knees and they would go, blah, 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 blah. But uh, yeah, she, she actually has a voice at least. Yeah. So we begin with uh, our main guy. And I'm actually going to argue that he might not, he's not necessarily our main character. And it's more like we just see the story of the main character through his eyes. Yeah, he's a function of the plot. He kind of, he he almost exists as a, a plot device. Yeah, yeah. He he never uh, really acts himself on anything for his own purposes. He's kind of just there to affect uh, Jean Rogier. Yeah, there and there to have stuff happen to him or around him. Yeah, and to provide magical assistance. Or yeah, assistance. Yeah, I was going to say or magical sabotage, but no, I think he helps. Well, it's <laughs> we'll get into that, too. It's kind of complicated whether or not magic is real in this uh, in this one. Mm. So, yeah, our main kid, Bruno, uh, is going to this apartment where his mother lives. Uh, it's his first time there. He's got this uh, giant bird cage for his little. Uh, oh, God, what was it like a parakeet? Oh, canary. No. Canary. That's what it was. Oh, my God. Uh- a canary, and at at one point in this, when we see him carrying it, it's an eagle or something instead. Like it's a big hawk yes, in the cage for like 
for like a split second. Yeah. Uh, it does that a few times. It's an eagle. It's a canary. It's a combination eagle and canary. Oh, it can be many things. It can. It's actually, yes, it's a lot more than just an eagle and a canary. Sometimes it's uh, a sexy ghost woman. Some uh, Often. Often. Actually, it's... <laughs> so he's going through uh, this apartment building in this, like, really kind of run-down-looking part of town. Uh, you don't get to see much of the town, but the building just looks... It's a high-rise district, so th- this is where he's living. In. It's kind of like the the french equivalent of something like a cabrini green and candy man mm, okay yeah uh ban lev is is what they would call them there uh just the these high-rise districts which are usually low-income housing where you have just you know problem families a lot of the time yeah and we're gonna see one which i thought when, when i when i first saw this i didn't realize that we were watching the actual main character. So I thought these guys were just an example of some of the wacky people living in this neighborhood. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, as he's sorry, go ahead. This feels like it's sort of magical realism story taking place on the verge of uh, the wire, you know, like the, the low rises. This is basically oh, where it's occurring, right? Yeah. Kind of like that. And yeah. probably close to the actual time in Baltimore when uh, the, the most of that stuff's based on when, David Simon was working as a reporter there. Oh, yeah. So that was like mid-80s then? Late 80s. I I read the book, Homicide Life on the Street, uh, and I think it's like late 80s into early 90s or something. Because he had another TV series based on it prior to that, Homicide Life on the Street. Yeah, yeah. I've heard of that one, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, so as he's going up to find his apartment... We see he just runs by this kid who is setting floor mats on fire. Yeah, just for fun. Just for, for something to do. Yep. He's standing there and watching him for a bit and then, you know, goes up to his apartment. And as he's going up, we see uh, the janitor catch the kid and, like, go pounding on the parents' door. And, like, this whole gang of kids have followed uh, to see this this whole thing go down. And so he's pounding on the kid's dad's door and the dad comes out and he's like, hey, this kid's been setting uh, floor mats on fire. And the dad's like, nobody hits my son, kicks the shit out of the guy. And then he looks at the kid. He's like, except for me, slap. And uh, this is basically this is the dad. And that that guy, the kid who got slapped was Jean Roger, who. I think is the main. I think he's the main character in the story. <laughs> yeah, I would say he is pretty much the main character. Uh, Marcel, the father, Bruno Cremer, is probably the only person I've really seen in other stuff from uh, this movie. Like he's the most familiar face to me. Oh, uh, I what what else has he been in? Uh, so I've seen him in Sorcerer, which is a really great William Friedkin movie about these guys driving. A truck or two truckloads of leaky liquid nitrogen over really rocky mountain roads in harsh weather. Okay. Uh, so it's extremely dangerous, and any hard bump could make the entire truck explode. Oh, that sounds harrowing. awesome! Movie, uh, really great. Uh, so you know the Mister Plow episode of The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. All of the trapped on the mountain stuff at the end is directly taken from sequences of uh, Sorcerer. Oh, no kidding. Right on. Yeah. 
Uh, and there's one other thing that I know him from. Uh, oh, yeah, he was the villain in uh, the movie The Hunter Will Get You that I watched a couple months back. Oh, that name rings a bell. Yeah, he, he, uh, it was him versus uh, Jean-Paul Belmondo. Jean-Paul Belmondo as The Hunter. Oh, right. Or maybe The Hunter was... The, maybe he was... He was the hunter and Jean-Paul Belmondo was hunting the hunter. I can't remember. <laughs> but he was the bad guy. Right on. Cool. He's he's a complicated character. He seems like he's a mix of a complicated character and a joke character. It's it's really... weird because it, it's very heightened, a lot of the stuff. The, this character especially, he seems so absurd at the beginning, but then he slowly becomes kind of a co-lead. Yeah. Yeah, actually, he uh, we we learn a lot about his philosophy and why he's like that, but it really sets him up as like just the biggest joke slash loser slash he's set up to be like a satire character at first. Well, especially with the guns in the house oh, God. and the gunfire in the house. Yeah. Oh my God, <laughs> I have. <laughs> I love that. I could not believe what I was seeing when we got to that. Um, but that's. Uh, but first, Bruno gets to his house and uh, his new apartment. This is his first time there, and his mom uh, took the time to set up this whole welcome home uh, celebration station kind of deal uh, on the table with like. Oh, but uh, she's not there, of course. No, she's not there. We will never ever see the mother. <laughs> She left a voice message, I believe. Yeah, she left a voice message. Or no, she uh, she phoned him, or he called her. They're talking to each other. Oh, there's and, actual direct communication here. But uh, yeah, I think this is the only time, because uh, otherwise from here, it's just time. messages. Yeah, she's like, oh, you're going to love living here, even though I'm not going to be around much. Uh, yeah, your room is at the end of the hall. Uh, are you sad that Grandma died? No. And Bruno's kind of a weird kid. We don't learn a lot about him, really. Just that he's a little slow, eh? Well, he's he's developmentally arrested at the age of seven, is what they say. Okay, yeah, yeah, because it was it was kind of tough to to uh, pick out his age at first because he looks like a seven or eight year old, but he's hanging out like everyone else is probably around fourteen or fifteen. And well, he is fourteen, but he he just stopped developing uh, or he hasn't developed past the age of seven yeah mentally yeah so he uh he goes to his room and uh there's a sexy queen of hearts there with uh like a big red victorian dress this is the only time we'll see her in clothing really and so this th and it's all blue lit i i think like he he goes down a corridor to find like this special secret door or something doesn't he because usually that's that's what happens when it's the shape-changing bird as sexy woman. Yeah, there's like a, a door that opens and past the end of the corridor, I think, right. is what it yeah. is. Yeah, uh, which like, <laughs> biographical aside, I was one time at my grandmother's and my uncle showed up extremely drunk. <laughs> and he's like, hey, Help me open the bathroom door. And I, I like go down to the end of the hall with him. And 
he, he's like at the bathroom door and the, like it's at the end of the hall there's a door on one side and then there's like wall and wall yeah. and I like I open the door e- easily and it's like no no not that door and he points at the wall this door <laughs> <laughs> um, I like I, I'm like eight. I, I turn around and like I go to my grandma and it's like Uncle's trying to open the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so in this secret room, uh the woman disrobes or just magically is naked now. I'm not sure which. And uh he makes up with this uh, little eight year old looking kid. And like he's feeling her up, and uh, this is the canary ghost, I think. Yeah, this is definitely it's more clear the other times, uh, but here it's just sort of vaguely suggested. But we already know that it shape shifts because we've established a couple times that it's changed shape. Uh, So in later times, it sort of specifically follows a path where we see. Uh, the the bird absent from the cage, and then we see this path into a room that doesn't exist, uh, and we we kind of under, understand that it's uh, the the canary shape shifting into one of its many forms. Mm-hmm. I think there might even be more than one woman, but I'm not 100% sure. I I'm not sure. I I kind of wonder if the woman is supposed to. Uh, be what his actual mother looks like because we never see her yeah it's hard to say either way the answer is unsettling because he does he does kiss her and feel her up in this scene yeah it's suggested that he has sexual relations with the bird ghost woman but also it's like how much of that is real (laughs) yeah What, what what is this yeah that's exactly it we never really get concrete establishment of what this is but i do have kind of a theory uh that i missed the first time i watched it hmm. uh because he's talking about how he met the canary and we'll go into it a bit more later but he says that the person who had the canary before him said the canary was a jinx a bad right. luck uh thing mm-hmm. which uh you know there's reason well, yeah, nobody gets that. out alive basically this is yeah. a rough story uh it's very yeah, oh, yeah yeah, yeah, there are few survivors here. Despite having magical realism and surrealism within it. Mm-hmm. Notably, though, he gets scratched on, while he's having sex with the, the bird ghost lady. The bird, uh, in its eagle form, scratches him in, uh, across the face. And uh, these big eagle claw marks are still on his face in the real world uh, sections uh, later on. At least for a little while until they've healed. Yeah, so it's it's a kind of like new nightmare uh, or or a nightmare in Elm Street in general. Uh, the if it scratches you in the sex fantasy, it scratches you in real life. Uh, so having sex with the bird lady does have its own specific hidden dangers. Yeah, but it does kind of suggest that it is real. It is the bird lady, and uh, it uh, can transcend reality. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, nobody points out these scratches that are pretty visible. I think the teacher mentions it at some point briefly. You could be right. Um, yeah, speaking of the teacher, we've got Bruno's first day of school where they tell him that he's going to be going into the experimental class. 
which, uh, as we all know, is really just the remedial class from The Simpsons. Well, he, he literally is with the I Start Fires kid because it's Jean Rogier, his uh, like his upstairs neighbor. Yep, he's, he literally starts fires. And like we see little bits of the other kids and just it's an unruly class. But Jean Rogier, Rogier is the important one. Well, I would kind of wonder almost if this sequence or, you know, the the, the uh, Simpsons sequence where Bart is in. Uh, God, what is the name of the town that they're in when they move? Uh, Screamville? No, no, they don't go to Screamville. <laughs> uh, no, it's Kate? it's. No, it's not that oh, one. Oh, no, it's, it's not the that Scorpio one. Um, episode. Oh, God, what is that town called? Something Pines? Something like that. Uh, but anyway, uh, when Bart is in the, the remedial class, Jean Rogier does kind of feel like he could be an inspiration for that character because it's both I start fires and then he becomes really fixated on Bruno for no real reason. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he becomes just as the the kid in in that one just like starts staring at Bart intensely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we've also got our uh, hot blonde teacher. So Gangsta Paradise begins playing. <laughs> no, she no, she is no Michelle Pfeiffer. I have seen her in something else, too. Oh, yeah. She uh, recently uh, she's in You and the Night. The first film by Jan Gonzalez. Oh, okay. A director of uh, Knife Plus Heart. Oh, okay, okay. So it's his previous movie where it's an orgy, but it's sort of like done in the style of an 80s teen movie. Interesting. Uh, and she's the star. So like she's a Hollywood star who's slumming at this weird orgy party. Uh, it's it's the one I told you about where like they're they're having this whole weird lead up to this guy taking his dick out and he's like telling his whole sexy past and then she shows up and makes everything really dramatic for a bit and then at, at the end of it he's like well just before you showed up and made the mood weird i was gonna take my dick out it's pretty impressive i guess maybe we could try that and see if we can get things back on track <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah uh, so, yeah, she's in that. She's the star. Oh, interesting. OK, yeah. right on. Can't picture her in an orgy movie, but well, it's stop trying. It's not uh, like there's no actual sex. I mean, there's nudity, but yeah, it, yeah it's a it's a strange movie. I mean, it's you know, <laughs> it's from the director of Knife Plus Heart. It's Jan Gonzalez. Yeah. It's yeah. weird. Oh, it has a, an aphrodisiac machine that reacts to people's moods to play the appropriate uh, type of M83 song on the score. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> awesome. Oh, I love it. That sounds amazing. Uh, so, yeah, well, while she's trying in vain to get the class to actually listen to anything, which is about the only thing that she gets to do uh, during class time, Bruno is staring out the window to see. You know, the canary also sometimes just shows up in places where it's not supposed to be. It's like Michael Myers. Yeah. This is like, oh, shit. It's just like hanging out outside the school staring at me. Yeah. Uh, the the teacher's whole deal feels very much like she is in the wire. Like she's like Prez dealing oh, yes. with like a couple troubled kids that, you know, just really wants to make things work. But, you know, things are not going to work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Uh, and while when he's looking at the canary, it flashes to the sexy ghost. Of course. Uh, 
of course, as it as it does often. And uh, we see Jean Roger try to pickpocket the teacher's uh, like the money from the teacher's coat pocket in exchange for blowjobs from one of the girls in class. And right. after failing, demands the blowjob anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's in, she's like, okay. And uh, everybody has to like get in close to uh, block their their view. Yeah. And it doesn't work so that Jean Roger is like, uh, okay, well, fine. In the basement later. Yeah. That's that's the kind of kid this guy is. It's like, well, I didn't do the thing, but I still want the blowjob. Yeah. Uh, he He's a total scumbag, but it comes downhill from his dad. Like, he's totally modeling himself after the uh, crazy reality of his father. Yeah. When, when you meet his dad, you're going to see that there is no way this is almost no way this kid could have turned out any different. He's although, a piece of shit, but it's not his fault. Although, interestingly, his brother has turned out different and it's a big source of conflict for him because um, like he obviously looks up to his brother, but now his brother was always the golden boy. And now he's uh, gotten better. Like he's realized how shitty their life is and how shitty their dad is. And he is transcending it where, you know, uh, uh, Bruno or Jean Roger has no capability of doing. Yeah. I think part of it too is like the dad, clearly favorites the older brother oh obviously it's like jean roger's saying it but like it's not all in his head it's very Mm. very obvious so bruno gets back home finds some more notes because you know that's the only way that the mother ever communicates but like they're not like just little notes they're big notes on a bulletin board with like lists of stuff that he has to cross off so this kid's not really got the best home life either he has absolutely no support system. Uh, None whatsoever. And and it doesn't like it. It's totally unclear what his life was like with his grandmother, but it doesn't seem like she was nurturing him to an extent. She was there for him, but it seems like maybe he was just living with her and not going to school or doing anything. That's kind of the feeling I get. Because um, he's just not socialized in any way. No, this this kid basically. Well, I described it as like the plot is just things happen. He exists for things happen to happen to him, but he doesn't know how to make things happen himself. No, and he's kind of Ralph Wigamy. Oh my God, he is too, actually. Yeah, because like he's he's dim. He is like he's like well behind where he should be developmentally, and he he just doesn't really have any sort of support. Uh, so, like, you know, we're Ralph, obviously, coming from uh, Chief Wiggum, who is also extremely dim. <laughs> <laughs> Chief Wiggum is maybe more like uh, Marcel with his guns in the house and all. Um, a less, a less uh, asshole Marcel, I think. Well, yeah. Marcel is uh, a real piece of work. He would be a MAGA guy now, like a really dangerous far-right insurrectionist type. Oh, he would have a wall-sized Confederate flag on his wall if he were an American. Yeah, you know, dual flying the Don't Tread on Me and the uh, Thin Blue Line. Mm, Not Thin Blue Line, I don't think. Yeah, maybe not this guy. I don't know. It it depends on uh, the politics of the area, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Are are the police, uh, do the police favor the left or the right more? 
in this particular town. I don't know. Well, well, this is Paris. In this town, I don't think. Oh, this is in Paris? Yeah, this this is just like a high-rise district somewhere around Paris. Oh, shit. Yeah, because we like, do see the cops for exactly once, and they do jack all. Yeah, it's like the projects in Paris. And it's like, well, oh. uh, you kind of just let that stuff happen there, because that's where you put those people. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's, that's why this movie was scandalous. Yeah, so... Yeah, so uh, Bruno is going out, uh, he's going to school, and he sees a bike parked, and Jean Roser just comes up with this big freaking comic cartoon keychain full of keys and unlocks the bike. Oh, yeah, he he just, like, I, I guess he has stolen some kind, like, maybe the janitor's entire ring of keys or something. Who knows? It could be. Actually, yeah, you know, it does look like a janitor key ring, I it bet. It seems like it, yeah, because there's so much on it. But yeah, he, he seems to just have a whole thriving criminal enterprise because he's arguably the leader of this gang as well. I I disagree. I wholeheartedly disagree with him being the leader. I think yeah. he thinks he has an inflated sense of self-worth within the gang, but they but, he's pretty much on the bottom of the totem pole. Except, like, near the end, they really do what he wants to do with uh, the, the, uh, the, well, we'll get to it. But, like, he, he mm-hmm. they, they seem to be totally down with all of his plans uh, in the climactic uh, mess. Yeah, um, I, I've got thoughts about that, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. So, yeah, he finds uh, Jean Roger stealing the bike and he's like, hey, is that yours? And Jean Roger's like. No, let's go for a ride. We'll have some fun. We'll hang out. We'll have some laughs is what he always says. Yeah, we'll have some laughs. Go out to the coast. Wait, is murder, this murder. Maybe do one. Is this where he uh, is like abusing the dog? Like, it, it really seems like he's oh, maybe no, a budding later. serial killer. Oh, he absolutely is. But the dog comes later. No, this is... When they go into the basement or the cellar or whatever it oh, is. Oh, right, where the, the people that do get stomped. Yeah, the dude gets uh, – the the girl from class is uh, – like got her trench coat, got a trench coat, and she takes it off, flashes them, you know, and the guy's like into it. And then the gang comes and uh, they – yeah, they stop him. They smash his hand with a big rock. Yeah, they, they uh, mess the dude up. Uh, they, they were luring him to roll him. Yeah, the leader of the gang is someone called Mina, who is this girl's girlfriend, apparently, or everybody's girlfriend. I'm not sure. And we just got Jean Roger and Bruno watching from the outside, like through a crack in the wall, and which is how we witness a lot of what happens is through Bruno watching through a window or through a crack in the wall. We're going to see a lot of that. Uh, so, yeah, after after that whole thing. We've got uh, Bruno doing the tell me about yourself presentation. He talks about like his past, how he was with like child protective services or something like that. Uh, yeah, I don't I, I it's not clear to me why he ended up not with his mother other than she seems to be completely absent. Yeah, um, the more important part about uh, this is he's talking about how he first got the canary. Uh, like somebody came to the foster home with the canary. Mm-hmm. and said said that it was a jinx and that it brought bad luck and then later uh, committed suicide in the bathroom. Right. So so Bruno's like, okay, well, I'll adopt the bird then. And then he says to the class, like, 
sometimes the canary, whose name is Superman, by the way, sometimes okay. the canary takes other forms and performs miracles for me, but nobody believes me, so I shut up about it. And that that line right there just completely fit in, like right in the middle of, they said I'm here from Canada, and they said I'm a little slow, eh? And I start fires. It goes right smack in the middle there. Well, yeah, and it's a whole show-and-tell presentation. It's him being like, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, I, I believe that uh, the, this canary changes shape and does stuff, but uh, nobody believes me, so uh, I don't talk about it. It's like, why are you talking about it right now? Like, I don't know. See if you guys will believe me. Yeah, we don't get to see anybody else's because none of the other kids matter. Oh, and then now after it's after this time after school that we have the dog dragging scene. Okay, yeah, because I, I, yeah. I, I, it's with the the stolen bike. Yeah, the stolen bike, and and he he ties a a rope to the dog, and he's like trying to like strangle the dog by like pulling yeah. it behind uh the bike, and then uh Bruno fucking tackles him, which is great. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. This is the only time Bruno actually does something. Bruno really like, hey. cares about animals. Yep. And he's like, hey, I don't like it when you're mean to animals. And Jean Roger, to his credit, listens to Bruno. He never does hurt. I'm wrong. He does hurt one more animal. But yeah, he's like, he's like, OK, well, fine. I won't be mean to animals. I'm just going to set some homeless people on fire instead. Is that OK? And then he goes and does it anyway. He like grabs some newspapers out of the uh, out of the trash and staples them to the homeless people's jackets and lights them on fire, which Bruno thinks is hilarious. Yeah, uh, they're they're just like uh, doing a lot of like budding serial killer stuff, and he kind of is along for the ride. Where Jean Roger is obviously the aggressor, like he he's the dominant personality. He's the real X factor where. Uh, he was always heading towards violence, and Bruno is just kind of this perfect vector to just bounce off anything he wants to do because his mind is so childlike. So mm-hmm. he accepts the violence as just kind of a fun thing and doesn't really assess any of the impacts of it because he has this magical realist mind based on his uh, shape-changing canary and no other support system outside of this uh, budding sociopath. Oh my God! Yeah, the only things in his life is a is a serial killer in the making and a imaginary shape shifting canary. So yeah, he's gonna he's gonna have some weird values. I mean, like the teacher does seem to be trying. I I would say that uh, the the teacher is trying to the absolute best of her abilities, but he isn't even interested in being reached by her. Well. I have a theory about that because while he's doing the after school stuff with the teacher, uh, sexy canary ghost does not appear at all during uh, during that time until that gets shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I and I, since I don't think sexy canary ghost is good, um, that that's debatable, but I don't think it is. Um, I think the teacher is actually working until she her thing doesn't. Yeah, well, like she's making a huge effort and she is providing an actual female role model in his life, uh, which uh, in uh, the the bird is obviously fulfilling that role in the time in between. But it's completely well, it's either a magical thing or it's based on his own projections of what women are. And it's 
not real great based on what it is. So like there are these extremely elegant objects, but they're also uh, completely sexualized. Yeah, so they're yeah, totally. aloof, but they're sexual and they're just kind of there for his gratification and to grant his wishes, uh, but without any sort of real personality and totally aloof and unreachable. Mm-hmm. So now it's time to really get to know the dad. Uh, so next, uh, after this whole thing with the homeless people, Jean Roger is like, hey, let's why don't we hang out and watch movies at my house? Uh, it'll be a nice, quiet, chill time. <laughs> there probably won't be lots of guns going off today. Well, I mean, there probably will, but maybe you can tune them out. So notably first, uh, I didn't catch this the first time, but he has to do a secret knock to get into the apartment. And then he's like, just be really quiet. Like, well, it makes sense. Sneak- it, it makes sense that he would have to do a secret knock because it is a criminal enterprise. Like they are running yeah. a criminal business out of the apartment. Yeah, we don't really find out exactly what it is that the dad does, but he's definitely involved in some criminal shit. I think he's just involved in any petty crime that anyone around him is interested in getting him involved in. Like, he's stealing stuff. He's stealing any car that looks good. He's just kind of doing whatever he wants to do. Uh, he He's just completely anti-authoritarian. Yep. And, uh, yeah, as they're going down the hall to get to uh, Jean Roger's room, Blam! Gunshot takes out the uh, 80s hairdryer that's uh, mounted on the wall. And the dad comes out, he's like, gotcha. Jean Roger is like, this is my dad. He's really strict, but, you know, he tells it like it is. And it's like, oh, God. Yeah, at this point, it feels very cartoonish. It's it's a weird balance in this movie where sometimes it's very bleakly urban realism and then when we're in this apartment and he's shooting guns, it really feels like we've just dropped into like a Looney Tunes cartoon. Oh yeah. Cause he's uh yeah, they're watching movies in his room and he's got like, and we see at the end of the hall, this uh, native person picture uh, turns out he set up the hallway to be an actual firing range where those, that picture is on like a track that, uh, that freaking like he has moving targets in the hallway of his apartment that he shoots his gun at down the hall. And we know there is a neighbor next to him. Yeah. They're, like he comes to complain and he gets shot at some more. Yeah. Uh, the uncle comes, uh, the dad's brother and is bitching about his missing car. He's like, Oh no, no, no. Some asshole stole my car. If I find out who I'll kill him, someone stole your Volvo. No, I bought a BMW. And the dad just bursts out laughing, goes to the next room where, the sick grandpa is uh, being sick on a bed. That's a whole other thing. And he goes under the mattress and he pulls out license plate. He's like, hey, was this your car? And the uncle just starts laughing. He's like, you fucker, you stole my car. <laughs> it's like, well, why did you tell me you got a new one? You know, I steal nice cars. Yeah, you're right. That really was my bad. He's like Pistol Pete, <laughs> you know, uh, the 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 neighbor in Goof Troop. He's got that kind of energy. He's just like the huge, burly, just bad neighbor who who's just like unbelievably bad in, in every respect. I, I knew a kid whose dad was a little bit like this, only it wasn't guns. It was axes. OK, yeah, I could see that. And, and, and uh, it, it goes deep. He's clearly he would be an anti-vaxxer for sure, because he has the whole thing where he won't let 
the dad go to the hospital to be treated? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like the, the, the kid's dad, like, took his axe to his Super Nintendo. So, oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. So, For know, what reason? People, like, was it, was it like he did something bad was or a, was it like crime against It was against video games. God? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's video games are bad. It was video games. Yeah. Okay. That, that was so, it. That was the reason. So, like, is it uh, a mind control thing, like a society thing, or is it a religion thing? Like, you, you, uh, these are against God. Oh, fuck. I don't know. I, I, did, okay. I did not ask. <laughs> Because it, it, you, you see both flavors of it. Yeah. Super Nintendo still functions. Those things were built to last. Oh, they're incredible. It, it's like that, that one uh, Game Boy that still runs after being like in an explosion in, in, in the Iraq. Gulf War. Yeah. yeah. It got shelled in Iraq and it still works. Yeah. And it's like melted. <laughs> yeah. So, so genres there is like, hey, let's play pinball. And, like, he has to signal to the dad to be able to walk down the hall in his own house. So well, because, like, the uncle shooting. is shooting, too, now. They're both just yep. shooting down the hall. Yeah, they're both shooting down the hallway in the apartment. Uh, the pinball room is also the sick grandpa's room, where, where Bruno's like, hey, is this guy okay? And John Rogier's like, oh, yeah, that's that's grandpa. He's just like that. He's like, oh, yeah, I mean, he's just dying. It's it's fine. Uh, dad and, won't and- take him to the hospital. Yeah, like Dad decided that he's just gonna die here. He he feels like it's probably not a good idea to, uh, you know, treat illnesses. That's you know, uh, we we don't want them putting mind control chips in, you know. Oh, it's, totally. Like, not not something stated, but you you get the impression that there's some sort of uh, convoluted, full anti-authoritarian tinfoil hat theory that drives this guy. Oh, for sure. I mean, the hospitals are part of government, so who knows, yeah. right? Yeah. That's and and like sh- that's why France needs to privatize their healthcare. Oh good lord. Well, it, it, like his thing seems to be his his beef with the other son that is, you know, growing up to be worthy of something and, you know, make uh be a useful member of society is just uh that he is uh becoming part of the system and that the system is uh completely uh, and utterly evil in every way and just like he mm. he can't be a part of the system and like if you're going to be part of that like you're going against everything he believes in well yeah he even says to the uncle when they're like sitting down and talking he's like hey can you believe my other son he's getting a he quit smoking he quit drinking and he got a job oh, what an asshole right <laughs> my son prick uh the mother and the daughter come home and like the uncle like tries to get fresh with the daughter and the dad's like, hey, no, no, I've got plans for her. And, oh, yeah, that's gross. And the mom is like, I told you a thousand times you are not going to soil her. Mm hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, gross. gross. Uh, really messed up. But like this is the only time we see her. Like she literally doesn't have a name or no. She shows up, I think, one other time. But the she's daughter just... shows up once more. Her name is Sendri. No, the mother Sendri. I don't know the daughter's name. Uh, the actress is named Sandrine. Uh, she's just the sister of Jean Roger in the credits. Huh, okay. Uh, same with the mother, la mère de Jean Roger. Uh, oh. The brother is Thierry. Yeah, he gets a name. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so the older son, Thierry, he gets home, but he throws like this big temper tantrum because his dad wants him to go shooting and won't take 
like go out shooting with him and he won't take no for an answer. So he's all like, oh, I'm just going to jump out the window then. I'm just going to kill myself and like storms out of the apartment. And it just reminded me of the guy from uh, Wet Hot American Summer. When uh, the, like, uh, the, with, with Paul Rudd? I, I think so. When the cap counselor asked him to do something, he's like, yeah, oh, yeah. God. Mm. Just like <laughs> throwing the like the cafeteria tray and just like, oh, and that it's just like, you know, you know that walk that people do is yeah, the, te- the teenager walk. Completely ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, that, so, that was that was Paul Rudd like, making it yeah. uh, as difficult as possible to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so the dad's like, "Well, fine, John Roger can come shooting with me, kid. You're going home." And uh, yeah, so now the canary ghost wife brings him to a ladder that lets him get onto the roof. And I don't know if they really have this ladder in the apartment or how he gets there. Well, like there does seem to be some sort of magical properties to this thing. It it does seem to genuinely be an authentic magical item within the movie for some reason. Mm -hmm. Like whatever all of the other reality is, this seems to have some sort of magical purpose that gets him all of these places. Yeah. And these just, up on the roof, uh, you know, being with the ghost canary. Not a lot actually happens in these hallucinations. Usually they just hold hands. They don't they don't fuck again, I don't think. I don't believe so, but it, it is weird that it just keeps taking him up to the roof. Mm-hmm. Well, later on we're going to see him, like, maybe be pulling a, a Dylan Reaches God moment. Mm. Uh, maybe. It's it's debatable. Like a lot of things in this movie are debatable. Yeah, like it it is one that has no real specific answer. Yeah. So uh, the next day at school, Jean Roger is sleeping, which completely fucking makes sense, given that what we've seen of his home life, yeah. like how there's just guns being shot, pinball being played, people arguing and screaming, uh, like all the time neighbors screaming because he blasted a hole in the wall this kid probably gets no fucking sleep yeah it is a completely chaotic home environment it's uh totally absurd like he lives in a looney tunes cartoon yeah uh but the teacher either doesn't know or doesn't care uh wakes him up and he just like goes off he slaps her he's like yo don't make me up don't tell me what to do i'm the boss of my life i show up when i feel like it and he starts a classroom riot, uh, starts throwing shit, and everybody gets in on it. And the teacher's like, Bruno, what are you doing? He's like, I'm a copycat. Uh, yeah, he, he's just like, Bruno, how are you? You shouldn't be joining in on this. And like, I, I think he says sorry, but he's like, sorry, I, I just, you know, I, I'm a follower. I got to do yeah. what, I, what everyone else is doing. Come on. Yeah, yeah. No, he literally says, I'm a copycat. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Jean Roger is like going out onto the like out the window onto the roof, trying to incite the whole school into a riot. Well, it's working uh, like everybody knows him. He's a school celebrity. Oh, yeah. And like the the the, the teachers have to come and drag him off of the roof. And like uh, the whole school has like gathered in the courtyard to like cheer him during. Yes. Yeah, as he's going revolution, revolution. Uh, but, you know. No revolution happens, and he's he's uh, waiting outside the principal's office where they're discussing what's to be done with this Jean Roger. Well, 
ultimately they can't do a whole lot. They cannot do a whole lot. They're like, well, uh, two days suspension, I guess. Well, we can't do that because then he'll just be out on the street doing shit with street gangs. Let's keep him in the school and uh, you, teacher, try to reach him. And she's like, oh, my God, you are asking for too fucking much of yeah, me. Yeah, the teacher's like, look, I can't do this. You know I can't do this. I want this kid out of the class so I can focus on people who can be saved. Yeah, she literally says, she's like, hey, if I had known that he would be – that this that the class would be like this, I wouldn't have taken the job. Yeah, I took this job because someone was deeply needed for it. Uh, and – I th- this sort of is an interesting crux to the movie for me because she's sort of suggesting that you know this kid is a lost cause that Jean Roger is specifically a lost cause and is uh, irredeemable like it it will take a miracle to save him and and I think that's kind of key to the end of the movie too. Mm, I agree. A miracle does it does take a miracle to save him and arguably one happens. Something happens anyway. It's a dirty miracle. It uh, just, sure just, is. Just like the miracles of Benedetta. It's it's conflicted. It's dirty. Uh, the Lord moves in mysterious ways. The wizard did it. A wizard did it. But you know what? It's good, though. They've got the caseworker on the case. She is just going to go over to uh, Jean Rogier's house and talk to Marcel. That's going to go great. Right. Like, you don't even need to see it. You're just like, well, I mean, he's going to shoot at her. That's obviously uh, going to happen. Yep. So uh, she gets there, and there's this big banner that says "Death to the Caseworker," and then Marcel like gets up behind her with a pistol and like this uh, Halloween mask, and is like, "Hey, you get out of here, or I'll make you wish you were never born," and all that shit. And then literally throws her out of the apartment. Yeah, uh, it's terrifying. He's an yep. extremely dangerous man. Like it, it is revealed that. The gun was empty, but it's still obviously extremely chaotic and dangerous. Like, this is a man who should be in jail. Yeah, like, the gun was a water pistol this time. Yeah. Well, like, we know he's regularly shooting real guns in the apartment anyway, so it's not like he doesn't have a bunch of them around. Oh, yeah, he's he's got a different... He never uses the same one twice. He's got so many guns. Yeah, it's like he had to have the water pistol here so he wasn't tempted. Oh, my God. I bet that's it. I bet that's seems, it. Yeah, he seems extremely dangerous. Like that, that when he uh, punched that other guy out for chasing after his son for setting fires. And he punches the guy and his son, right? Like, yeah. It's just the, the dude is just pure danger. Although another thing, like to add to your point about how the case, or the the teacher thinks that he can't be saved, he was also like they were also saying maybe transfer him to a different school. No, no school is going to accept somebody from that family. No. So like they've written off the whole family. Well, I and I understand why it's because like and and it's what they they can't deal with the father in any way, so they know that there's absolutely no support. So it's like, if any of them come here, we have no recourse for anything. Mm-hmm. Like, th- this is their problem is like, they can't even like they can't expel him because it's just like against the rules. The, yeah. they, they can't just kick him out of a school because they, they would need to put him in a different one. Yeah. And uh, they they can't go to the parents to have them punish him. They can't yeah, keep them at home work. in any way. So that's a terrible idea. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's the 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 school has the same problem of having no support system whatsoever that Bruno does. Mm-hmm. And also being like, well, sadly, our our staff who make about twenty grand a year after tax, if they're lucky, they're the ones who have to deal with all this. They they have to make all these hard decisions and all that. And they're the ones who ultimately have to be the point of contact for these kids because no one else will. It is pretty fucked up that this 1988 movie about problems in the school system is still pretty accurate to problems in the school system in 2022. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So we find out that uh, Jean Roger got a one week suspension and the caseworker quit and they <laughs> nobody will replace her. Yeah. There's just no caseworker left to do the job because they just can't deal with this family anymore. But since uh, Jean Roger has been kicked out of the class, uh, the teacher decides to – we don't get the teacher's name ever. Nope. She's just uh, the teacher. Uh, she decides to work on somebody who maybe she can save uh, and decides to try to reach Bruno now that, the, now that Jean Roger is not in class to fuck him up at least for a week. Yeah, and I feel like she was already trying to reach him from the beginning, and that's why when he sort of pitched in with the riot, she was kind of like, hey, what are you doing? Because she kind of had hoped that he would have the sense to not be a follower like that, but uh, obviously she was not aware of his mentality yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so she's talking to him, and like he's mentioning how like all the time he felt like he was hopeless and she's just like well that's not true and he's like what you mean i'm not hopeless and she's <laughs> like what no and it's probably the first time anyone's ever said that to him right well that that's to the thing with like i i don't understand what his life would have been like with the grandma because it seems like maybe he wasn't even having any kind of schooling because he was viewed as hopeless could be yeah um because yeah yeah, that, that's entirely possible. Like some parents are just like, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with all the stuff involved with the development, mental disabilities of my kids. So yeah, fuck it. Just stay here, I guess. Yeah, Th- that might be how it was. Oh, absolutely. Because also it's not like the mother is uh, doing anything uh, with him now. Like she still seems to be trying to pass him off onto the school. Oh, totally, totally. Um, and we'll continue to do so until... Well, until, until the end, end. <laughs> until she no longer has to pass him off to the school. So we find out uh, at Jean Roger's house that uh, Theory is moving out now with his girlfriend. And yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah, big deal. It's like moving out. First, you get a job first and stop drinking. And now you're moving out and like trying to make your own life. That is some bullshit. All right. Where is this? Anybody know where he where this kid actually works? And John Rosier's like, I do. Take me along. It's weird because he kind of seems to be like, I I raised this kid to be a communist. How dare he become a capitalist? He's like, he's moving out of the commune. He's getting a job in the capitalist system. What is this? Well, they literally tells him later on, like, yo, you're you're literally making yourself a slave, dude. You're and- becoming a cog. And yeah, the kid's like, Dad, your worldview is bullshit. Yeah, because uh, he's but, a fucking criminal. He's, he's just a leech on society. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So yeah, they stake him out at the newspaper. 
and they see his girlfriend who Jean Regier hates or yeah. hates that he's with her, one or the other, or both. I think it's it's more the I, I, I feel it's more the existential threat she poses in taking the brother away and also how she represents something like she represents his escape as well as just like something that he couldn't personally achieve. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Could be. But yeah, he he's like seething this whole time. Well, the dad's just looking at him was like, look at that dumb prick working his work job like a dumb prick. Yeah. He has to haul a bunch of newspapers. What a jerk. Yeah. Newsy. Um, like a thirties newsy. <laughs> <laughs> all right what are you gonna tell me to extra extra read all about it yeah <laughs> and he rides by him on his scooter like to deliver the papers like dad he's like being a Santa prick. Fe. <laughs> <laughs> so they have their heart to heart and it's basically like him saying hey when i was in the army i saw some really fucked up shit what i'm saying is there's no God. There's nothing at the end. Just oblivion. So just do whatever you want. Don't do what the man says. Do what this man says. And I'm pointing yeah. at myself here. Yeah, I guess the suggestion is that he has pretty severe PTSD. Uh, but like, I, I want to point out the place that they have this conversation is super beautiful. Like they go to mm. this, they, they go down this staircase to this sort of enclosed garden area that's just uh like a concrete walkway surrounded by green space it's really pretty actually you know it reminds me of this place uh, that i used to go to in calgary all the time when i lived there i might have even mentioned it on the show before it was like this mm. huge indoor garden inside one of the skyscrapers cool yeah i used to like go there have lunch there every now and again hmm. it kind of it kind of reminded me of that yeah i could see that yeah it's it's a real nice uh like spot of green in a movie that that's like heavily urban you know it, it has a sort of tetsuo 2 sort of dystopian modern high-rise areas kind oh, of feel to totally most of mm -hmm. oh, so this yeah. spot of green is is like a really nice contrast and they're having kind of a more realistic conversation than we've ever heard this guy have he's he seemed like a cartoon <laughs> character up until now it's like yeah i'm gonna be a human being for this one scene and he's still kind of absurd because it's still, what are you trying to do? You're you're <laughs> you're you're becoming a real person. What are you doing? Leaving you're my cartoon life? Trying to make something of yourself? That's insane. Who does that? Yeah. You could be shooting in the hallway. Yeah, I, I I don't understand this. At the end, he's like gives him a bunch of money, uh, a huge stack of bills actually, and says, "Hey, go into the country. Don't take the girlfriend with you." Yeah, and like I don't know. I, I guess he's just trying to give him the option of just, like, thinking it through and hoping that he'll go with him. Yeah, which is another kind of uh, way in that he's messed up because he actually thinks that his, that with enough time his son will realize that he's right. Like, yeah. No. <laughs> like Benedetta, he does believe in his own bullshit completely. Oh, he, he's he a true believer. Does. He is yeah. a true believer. So later at the school, we see. Oh, the... I guess we should say that for some reason he does agree to oh. take the money and go away without the girl to the country without telling her where she is, where he is. Oh, yeah, that's right. He does, too. 
you're right. Because she's looking for his address later. Yeah, they, she can't find him or contact him. She just knows that he's gone to the country because that's all he was allowed to tell her. So, yeah, so he did He did do that much, at least. Yeah. He listened to his dad. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, well, it ends okay-ish for him. He... I mean, it's Ish. still there's there's some trauma and some, some bad shit, shit happens. happens. Yeah. 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 So at the school, uh, the guy who got stomped in the basement at the beginning, uh, they see him driving up in a car with a rifle. And Jean Rogier's like, oh, shit, we got to warn the gang. So uh, they they set up on like an overpass or something and they're throwing fucking Molotov cocktails at this car. Yeah, and they get Bruno to, like, join them and throw Molotov cocktails. Yep. And if I was a 14-year-old with the mind of a 7-year-old, I think I'd be having a pretty good time throwing Molotov cocktails at cars off an overpass, to be quite honest. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I mean, mean, yeah, it you, looks... <laughs> it's it's real bad to do, and it's really dangerous, but it does look like a lot of fun, I have to admit. Like, don't do this at home, but it looks fun. <laughs> I know, right? It's like, if... If I knew there was a way to do it safely, I would – and it was, like, allowed and stuff, and it was, like, you know, a closed setting. Yeah, I would, like – I would totally do it. Th- this would be a totally fun attraction at, like, one of those uh, danger parks where, where, like, they have, like, little places where you get to do crazy shit, you know? <laughs> Here is the Sound and Fury attraction. Can oh, you yeah. survive uh, Jean Roger's House of Horror? <laughs> Probably not. Not many did. Probably not. And, uh, yeah, so they're, they're chasing the guy on foot, and uh, Jean Roger trips him, and him and Bruno, I think, both, like, have their hands on the knife and stab him, but there's, like, no fanfare to it. Uh, just knife goes in, cut to next scene, nobody talks about it again, but they just fucking murdered that guy. Yeah, that's pretty fucked up. Yeah, I, I just, that it moves on so quickly, kind of, to me, kind of indicates, like, to Bruno, it was just another thing that they did while having fun. He, I don't think he registered that he killed anyone. Yeah, I don't we, think so. Well, it, it doesn't seem like he has much knowledge of life and death or consequence, yeah. except as pertains to animals. He's really only interest in, or interested in uh, the safety of animals. I, I don't think he has any connection to people. I don't think so either. Um, because yeah, he didn't object at all when the when he lit the homeless kid guys on fire. Yeah, immediately after saying, "Hey, don't hurt that dog." Yeah. Yep. I I think he just has zero connection to humans. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. Which is uh, why he has a sexual relationship with the ghost bird. Ghost bird lady. Yeah. They go uh, uh, regroup with the gang, and the gang's like, "Hey, this weird kid can't come with us." And Jean like, oh. like, oh, well, sorry, Bruno, you guess you're out. Yeah, like, oh, geez, it totally just burned him immediately. Yeah, not like, oh, well, no, this guy actually is really cool, and he helped me take out that guy who was going to shoot all of us. None of that. Yeah, so, no, like, yeah. oh, well, <laughs> get wrecked. <laughs> see ya. Yeah, basically. Yeah, and then we see him disappear into, like, a sewer grate. Never find out what he did in there, because uh, we see it through Bruno's eyes, and Bruno, I guess, he doesn't know. So, yeah, we'd never find out what happened in there. Just that the leader told him he has to prove he's a man. Whatever that means. 
Although she yeah. says it to him later. So yeah, she says it a couple of times. Means. Yeah. She, she, he, he's going through a bunch of initiations. Yeah. Which is why I don't think he, I kind of feel like maybe he's not even in the gang and they're just. Yeah, I guess so. Trying it's, him out. It's, it's weird though, because they're all about the same age and they just all seem to, I, I, it seems like all of them have to just constantly be proving things to each other. Yeah, and it also seems like Jean Regier should be like the gang celebrity because he's a school celebrity. How is it different? Well, and they, they do, when they're challenging him to do something, his modifications to it are immediately accepted. They're like, oh yeah, that's great. Uh, it, it does kind of seem like more it's just this whole mutual thrill-seeking organization. Yeah, yeah. Um, teen well, violence gang, you know? Just typical yeah. teen violence gang. Yeah, that's true. So now we've got one of the after-school sessions where uh, Bruno is looking at a globe and he's like, points to South America, like Argentina or something, and he's like, hey, how come the Chinese don't fall off on the bottom here? Man, and he, is, he has so much struggle getting this. He never gets it. He. Oh, he gets no, it when... Tries. Yeah, she, I think she ultimately sort of gets it when she when he built she builds the whole machine. <laughs> she builds a whole machine to teach him how it works because she's like trying to explain how there's gravity works. Gravity, right? Yeah, it has like this little like wind up dude on the top, and it's like yeah, but it's the same on the bottom. And Bruno's like, no, it's not. Sticks the guy on the bottom and <laughs> falls off, and it's like. Okay, well, first of all, that's not China. China's still in the northern hemisphere. Yeah. Second of all, oh my yeah, god, he's, I need he's to... pointing at Australia for China, and it's like, well, okay, start. Look, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Next, uh, gravity though. He's like, come on, you're Josh and me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she's like, oh my god, okay, I'm gonna have to do some prep work for this lesson. Uh, more unpaid labor for me. I mean, she really goes the extra mile. Oh, she no, she she doesn't she doesn't complain at all. She's actually like super into this because uh, the next day she comes in with like this whole setup. Yeah, so it's uh, it's it, it like has the guy able to like go all the way around the globe. Yeah, because it's like a switched up the axis that the globe spins on, and I guess put some kind of a magnet there. So, uh, yeah, she's, like, explaining how it works, and it's like, yeah, but how does he stay up there? Well, to him, where is, where is down and where is up? And I think Bruno kind of figures it out at this point. Yeah, that, that like, uh, down and up are relative. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, Jean Roger is just watching all this happen, just seething. Yeah, he's taking his friend, she, she's taking him away from him. Mm-hmm. Like, he's extremely jealous. It's the same thing with, like, the dad and with the brother and, just, and the the girlfriend of the brother. Mm-hmm. Anytime he, like, feels any connection to something, that thing has to be completely his. Yeah, his and his alone. He's yeah. is supremely possessive. Which he probably gets from his dad, but he sure. can't have two supremely possessive people in the same house. No, and like, yeah, he's he's clearly taking after his dad in really toxic and poisonous ways that are dangerous to both of them. But yeah, he he clearly is just this sociopath. He he wants everything, and he just doesn't understand why the world can't just be exactly what he wants it to be at all times. Mm-hmm. 
Although I think it's hilarious that as she's explaining it to Bruno, he goes in for a kiss and she just kind of pushes him back. He's like, no, get to no, your no. seat. No, no. Yeah, it's like, you've ruined it. <laughs> the moment's gone. Yeah. Maybe if there weren't so many people, you know. Uh, maybe, maybe you know, once I'm the abbess. Right. Or uh, uh, if she were the bird. If she were the bird. But still, Jean Roger is not... Still not having it. He's like, oh, my God, this I've got. He's got a plan, though. Uh, he gets his plan. He gets one of the kids to write a letter about how the teacher is doing despicable, degenerate things with one of the students after school. Right. Which, uh, you know, trying to shut the whole thing down. Yeah. Uh, and, trying to spread accusations, of course. Of course. Yeah. Trying to get. uh the nuns, uh, or the nuncio, uh, to come. Yeah, either one. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, Interchangeable. You're right, but you. We've got Jean Roger teaching Bruno how to shoot. Jean Roger, we see, is extremely good with that little pistol that he probably stole from his dad. Or that his dad might have just given to him on a drunken thing. Who knows? I would bet that it belongs to him and that it was a gift to him. Uh, it, it really seems like something that his dad would have proudly given to him. Mm-hmm. But it also seems equally uh, likely that he would steal a gun. Well, no, he would not steal a gun from his dad. Yeah, no, I think he would be smarter than that. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. And yeah, it, it totally tracks that he would be really great with it because he's probably been growing up around guns since he was a baby. Like he's probably had constant experience with them. Oh, yeah. He lives in a firing range. Yeah, that's a real good way to uh, learn how to use guns, I guess. Yeah, so um, him being a really good shot is actually going to come into play uh, a couple times. Uh, Bruno, not such a great shot. But no. the thing about Jean Roger is he's also always like pointing his gun at things and uh, just going, pow, 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 pow. You know, like what kids do with their toy guns, but he, it's yeah. real and it's loaded and it's frightening. Yeah, it's real scary. Well, and I, I think that's the really interesting tone about this movie is that it has this weird surrealism running through it. But then there's this really br- bleak realism at the core. It's like, oh, yeah, uh, this is kind of like the fourth season of The Wire also, just with a ghost bird in it. You know, it really is a lot like that, come to think of it. And in France. (laughs) And in France, yeah. Yeah. So, at some point, Jean Roger finds uh, Thierry's girlfriend and talks to her. He's like, hey, I know you. You're my boyfriend's brother. Hey, do you know where he is? Oh, yeah, I'll give you his address. Here you go. And he makes, like, a big show about politely getting the car door for her. Yes, I'm a good boy. Everything about his posture is, like, in that mocking of what politeness is like someone who doesn't understand it and is just trying to imitate it yeah well i mean like he he is fake i I don't think he would know how to be genuinely polite to someone yeah as i was saying it i realized that it's like shit he probably doesn't know yeah like it's he's like uh the the sarcastic guy in kids and all he just has no idea how to not be sarcastic like that is just his nature Mm-hmm. So Bruno and Jean Roger go back to the apartment where the dad is divvying up a 
God knows what money from what uh, with these two thugs. It was like, oh, yeah, it's been a pleasure working with you and all that. Some kind of crime. Two for you, uh, two for me, one for you, one for you, three for me, one for you, one for you, two for me. Like, again, clearly just running some criminal enterprise out of this apartment. Uh It's unclear what it is, but he's just doing crimes. Oh, yeah. And uh, Jean Regier notably hides the gun under the grandpa's mattress. Mm -hmm. Uh, The dying grandpa. Yeah. And one of the thugs is like, hey, I should actually rape the daughter now. The dad's like, oh, no, don't you do it. I'm actually going to kill you if you do that. It's like, dude, we're thugs. We do what we want. And they pull their knife on him, and it turns into this huge fight uh, that Bruno only kind of half sees from the grandpa's room. Mm-hmm. And then the grandpa, like, reaches under the mattress to pull the gun out, and I'm just imagining, like, the look on his face, even though he's dying, he's got this not-this-shit-again look. Yeah, like, oh, they like, just, it, it never ends in this house. And he's like pointing the gun and kind of waiting. And then he dies. He just dies. Yeah, he just dies pointing the gun ready to shoot possibly anyone who came around the corner. You know, that's kind of how I feel about it, too. (laughs) Anyone who came around that corner was was fair game. The dad. Yeah. yeah, You know what? That's all right. We can shoot him. That's fine. Yeah. If it it ends up being the dad, it'll put a stop to all this craziness in this house. If it's one of the thugs. Great. You know, they they seem like they're real bad dudes, too. Yeah. So um, so we hear the dad uh, be like, hey, you to uh, Bruno, like grab a bottle and smash it over this guy's head, will you? And Bruno's like, "Uh, you're the grandpa's dead. And the dad's like, what, really? Well, he's like trying to like push the thug off who's like trying to stab him in the face with the knife mm-hmm. and yeah bruno goes back into the room and we just hear this glass shatter and then we see we see the dad just reach into this secret compartment in the wall like this pouch that's hanging on the wall and pull out this freaking curved sickle blade and i'm like of course he has these things hidden in his house oh my god well, it's it's a great that it's also a break glass in case of sort of thing, too. <laughs> yeah. This is like such a huge moment, but it feels so Looney Tunes because <laughs> he goes down the hall and we just see him drag the corpse of the other guy out with a sickle coming out of his uh, yep. out of his back. Shit. You were mentioning about how he's like kind of a communist. I wonder if the sickle is uh, part of that. Yeah, I, w- I would say so. Like he, he sort of seems like. Uh, he he's supposed to represent this sort of uh, anti-authoritarian in every sense, and so like he is sort of a, a dangerous far leftist. Uh, but like he's not, and he he's sort of like the really dangerous version that like he he is Antifa, right? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> like where where they view fa to just be government. <laughs> rather than fascism like they don't Mm -hmm. get that that's what it means he's like the caricature that that they might imagine yeah Uh, yeah he's like (laughs) he but he acts like those maga heads though despite yeah it's because he has no political affiliation there's no there's no actual politics behind it he's just anti-society and anti-authority yeah which is more that philosophy right yeah, it's me first, fuck anyone else. Yeah. Which isn't really a communist philosophy. No, it's really not. 
I mean, like, that's kind of a Soviet communism philosophy, at least if you're at the top of it. But that's more of a kleptocracy, really. Well, yeah. Yeah, I don't know anything about a kleptocracy. Don't know what that's like. <laughs> I mean, uh, you, you, you they, those exist. You, you, well, you see sure a few do. of those. <laughs> Here and there. So, yeah, they kick Bruno out while they go to uh, presumably dispose of these bodies. Yeah. I mean, you can't have them in this apartment. There's holes in the walls from all the gunshots. Yeah, people can just see. They can just see that, you know, you murdered a couple people. So we've got Bruno doing an after-school dance with the teacher. Very not sexual, but it happens to be this moment when the principal walks in who, uh, you know, received the letter about the sexual misconduct. It, it's vaguely uh, inappropriate, or it, it looks like it could potentially be vaguely inappropriate. Yeah, so the principal's like, hey, uh, look, you can't be doing these after-school shits with, the, with this kid anymore. We got a complaint. He is aware that it's like bullshit. He's like, yeah. look, I know it's bullshit, but... <laughs> yeah, he's we, like, we I just... know it's bullshit, Jean Roger wrote it. Yeah, it's just we we have no other resources. You you know this, like the the caseworker's gone. What are we gonna do? Yeah, and it's like it, it's bullshit, but it's dangerous bullshit. Take a look, and they look out the window, and her car is spray painted. Right, it's like this kid is a danger to you, like physically. Like he is a genuine sociopath. We know that we know that he could kill you. So yeah, yeah watch it. We we're just gonna back off. <laughs> All we can do is back off. And Bruno's like, well, can we still do our after-school classes? And Principal's like, eh, not for a while. I feel so bad for this kid. Just never any support in his life. And this this uh, this one leech who uh, just kind of sucks onto him and uh, you know breaks the only kicks out the only supports he ever had with this teacher. So yeah, um, yeah, I. Now that I've gone through my notes, I've confirmed that the canary ghost does not show up from the from when the after school sessions begin to when they end, because mm-hmm. right after this is when she shows up again. Yeah, because he needed a new female figure. He, he like yeah. he the only real one is gone again. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, because he the flower that he got from the teacher, he drops it out the window. So we've got. Uh, the gang and Jean Roger, it's like, hey, you've got to prove to us you're a man yet again. So we've kidnapped these two these two hot girls, and you're going to rape one of them. Which one? He just whispers something into the gang leader's ear, and it's like, oh, your brother's girlfriend? Shit, that's way more fucked up. Than, that's even more fucked up than what we were doing. Let's do it. Yeah, and so they let, they let the, the those people go that they, like, carjacked. Yeah. And they go and kidnap uh, Theory's girlfriend and drag her to this uh, side, like side alley or whatever. It's still in the same apartment complex. And uh, yeah, Jean Roger, he does rape her. Yeah, and like they're all standing around cheering. Uh, but then uh, I, I believe Theory shows up. He shows right? up because he had gone to visit the dad because because the grandpa passed away. Right, yeah. And the dad is just like, yeah, see, that's what I mean. That's what happens. There's nothing after death. You just die. It's just an abyss. So live like me. I've got everything figured out. Okay, dad. All right, whatever. And then, yeah, this happens. So, like, he or he tackles Jean Roger and pulls him and is like, 
going to kick the shit out of him. And then the gang blackjacks him. Yeah. And, and he's got uh, the fucking youth violence gang to back him up. Yeah, he's got the youth violence gang to back him up. So uh, they take him out to this bonfire. And uh, that's scary. Yeah, it's terrifying. Like, they, they are clearly a really dangerous little gang who are slowly escalating. Like, they're they're this is why I feel like there's not really any sort of leadership or them as, like, a gang as a criminal enterprise. They seem to just be a group of sociopaths who have found each other and are just beating the shit out of people and abducting people and doing whatever they want because they're slowly escalating to worse and worse things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it doesn't seem like they've ever gone this far before, but it, it looks like they're going to just toss him onto the fire. Mm-hmm. And Jean Rogier's like, yeah, okay, I'm cool with this. And he's also fucking wasted at this point. Yeah, he's been drinking all day. Yeah. Which, I, I, it, it does also suggest that like he does have some moral conflicts with it, and he's just drowning them out in that sense. That could be it. Or it could be he just drinks all day because that's just what he does. That's what well, he's got to do. I, I think that's a thing with a few different serial killers. Like, I know that was a Jeffrey Dahmer thing. That was that, definitely a Dahmer yeah, thing, yes. Yeah. And I think maybe there were a couple others. And Yeah, for some people, it's just that's uh, how they get to the space that they need to be to need to be in to do the bad things. So, yeah, um, they're... Actually, yes, they are going to toss him onto the fire because four of them grab Terry when he starts coming to. And the dad just comes with his rifle and starts shooting the teenagers in the back. And like on the one hand, you're shooting teenagers. On the other hand, what other choice do you have? This is this is the only way this was ever going to end. Well, all of these people are bad. There's no one good here. (laughs) The dad is bad, but like these teenagers, eh. I'm not feeling too bad that they're getting shot Uh, because this is heightened. This has sort of that um, urban apocalypse flavor of something like falling down. Oh yeah. You know, where it's like, Oh man, it's an epidemic of violence and uh, uh, inner city danger. Mm -hmm. So Terry actually is able to get up and him and his girlfriend drive away. And the dad just kind of, the dad just watches them, and I just kind of imagine what he must be thinking. Like, he does love his son, even though he's completely incapable of showing it like like a sane person. And he's just kind of watching, knowing that it's like, well, this guy just drove completely out of my life. Yeah, and, like, it, it's, it's weird because, like, he has clearly come to save him, and he has made his choice. He's shown that he does care more about Thierry than he does uh, Jean Rogier, like, for sure. Well, I, I don't know if that's necessarily the case uh, because he hasn't – it's not like he had to sh- choose between one of them dying and the other living. No, but like, like he had to – I think he was shooting at him. Like I, I think he was aware that he was there and part of this gang and he was just openly shooting at whoever was there. Good point. Good point. And and like um, he, he just doesn't care. Like he is unconcerned with Jean Rogier ultimately. Like he is not all that interested in him. Oh, he starts chasing him slowly because Jean Rogier cannot quickly get away. He's stumbling and he's, well, he's trying drunk. to climb a fence. Oh yeah, he he is so drunk, and he he knows that he's fucked if his dad catches him. Yeah, he so, will murder him. He, he's completely willing to. Yep. Yeah. 
So uh, he he pulls out his gun and shoots him, shoots him like from the hip while drunk, uh, shoots him in the stomach. And the gang gets back and is like, well, shit, what are we going to do now? And they decide to hang him from a tree. Uh, Bruno, meanwhile, has been on the roof, I guess, uh, watching all this happen. We would presume that he's been led up there again, uh, mm. although we don't see it. Because, like, that's the only time he's ever been on the roof is when he's been led there by the bird. And the bird is present through this sequence. Yes, uh, the bird, like, he even says to the bird, is like, like, hey, I could really use a miracle right now. Which... Uh, I, I kind of feel like maybe this is the miracle, but it's a real dirty miracle. Well, especially watching this one after Benedetta, uh, I, I, I was like, yeah, I, this could be the miracle. So what happens is the little bird, the little canary, uh, just hangs out on the noose. And I thought to myself, oh, shit, this is going to be the miracle. Uh, Jean Roger is going to shoot at the canary, hit the noose which will lower the thing and then somehow be able to save the dad and everyone will live happily ever after. (laughs) No, no, he shoots (laughs) the bird. Yeah. He shoots the bird. does not hit the noose at all. The bird dies. Ghost canary disappears. And, uh, Jean Roger curls up into a little ball because, you know, what else is he going to do at this point? Yeah. Cause like this is again, like the last of his support. But it's it's weird because, like, is the bird self-sacrificing or is this like well, it, it's it's so hard to say what what the what the purpose of the bird is here or the really symbolic is. nature like, of it. I, I still don't have it completely figured out, but the bird isn't quite done because Bruno goes down uh, to where all this stuff happened and he sees the dead bird and that's the last of his support because after, you know, after yeah. losing the teacher, he says to the bird, like, hey, you're all I have in this world. And yeah, now exactly. the bird's dead. Yeah. So the ghost uh, lady appears and whispers something into his ear. And, and then he repeats it. He's like, behind the big doors of light, I could be with Superman and Grandma again? Yeah, he, he wants, he, he's like deciding to take the path to death. Yep, so he uh, he takes – no, he doesn't take the gun. The ghost lady picks it up from where Jean Richard is curled up and hands it to him. Yeah. And, you know, he, he shoots himself right when Jean Richard wakes up. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is sort of the crux of it. It, it is – obviously, it, it kind of works as a jinx to him, and Jean Richard does not get anything – like, he doesn't get – uh, oh, uh, his own wish-giving canary passed on to him the way uh, Bruno did. Yeah, which, which sort of happened the the other one because you know he he mm. killed it. But but the miracle arguably is that it changes him. Like he is finally brought so fully to face all of the issues in his life, and also extracted from them. Because the dad is dead and the brother is gone and the household is destroyed and he has to go to prison. Yes. Or juvenile uh, detention. Yeah, so the last the last very last scene is an un we don't know how long how much time has passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the teacher is now teaching French in presumably some different school. 
Yeah, it, it looks like uh, a, a nicer school. Oh, yeah. And she gets a letter from Jean Regier, mostly about like, hey, it's nice that I'm everyone's really nice to be in prison. I get to do this. I, I have doctors who will just let me talk to them. And it's really cool. I'm sorry for trying to ruin your life. Uh, hey, did I ever tell you that when Bruno died, I saw him talking to a ghost canary woman. And then he said to me, it's going to seem like I'm dead, but I'm actually out there with the stars. And I don't know, I was actually really drunk and hammered, so I might have just dreamed the whole thing up. Right. But it is suggested that he did see the the ghost lady. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, oh, and that this, this uh, whole thing about Bruno, after dying, being like, hey, I'm actually up in the stars completely disproves the whole dad's philosophy which right. could also be like a thing that that gets him to start going on the path well again yeah uh, it's it's a it's a total dismantling of everything like uh, it, all of the the uh, the potential roadblocks because like it needs to be a full miracle for it to work with this kid just being so far gone brought up in this philosophy and in this environment and just uh, clearly on an extremely negative path, mm-hmm. but it's weird yeah. because it's like how at, at this point, how salvageable is he? Like he has done a lot of horrible stuff that we've seen him do and yeah. not really regret any of it. Well, and until the, the very end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard to say. Like we don't know how much time has happened. We don't know what, kind of progress he's made with the doctors at the juvenile hall um yeah him getting mental health support is clearly really key yeah and something that he could never possibly have gotten in the previous environment oh yeah no way the dad would have allowed it yeah no way no Uh, so yeah that is it pretty good movie right really good movie holy Um, interesting yeah jean roger is a fascinating character and so is the dad actually I find all of them pretty interesting. I mean, yeah, I, I agree that uh, Bruno is kind of a blank space, sort of intentionally, I guess. Yeah, well, he need, he needs to be, I think, for this to really work. Yeah, because like the, I I would say the the biggest character moment for him is when he says, ah, "I'm just a copycat." <laughs> yeah, I, I acknowledge it. I just do. I I just follow the crowd. Yeah, uh, I just exist for things to happen to me or around me. Well, he's a simulation of a person when he's in public. Like, his, his real life is his fantasy life with his magic bird. And uh, everything else is just extraneous. Like, he has no connection to any of these people or anything going on in the world. And when the bird dies, it's like, well, I don't really care anymore. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, it's downer bleak. ending. It's, <laughs> it's a real bleak movie. But, yeah, it's it's great. It's very interesting. Visually quite compelling especially whenever we have the ghost sequences mm-hmm. where you get like the the blue rooms and like the secret corridors and extra doors that my uncle was trying to get into back in the day <laughs> yeah uh great great acting um the, the kid the two kids are great like holy shit very so good, good yeah yeah very very uh natural kid actors mm-hmm so any last thoughts before we move on to our final part? Uh, yeah, I, I think I've said it all. All right, on to part three. And we're back for our final part where we talk about other stuff we've watched in the past week and decide what we're going to watch next week. 
Uh, so first up, we got together this weekend and we watched Writing Wrongs. Uh, we watched specifically the Chinese cut. Now, this wasn't the same one that you watched uh, a few weeks ago when it or months ago or whatever, when it was when it showed up ago, in the stacks, was it? No. So like I watched the original Hong Kong cut uh, and this is the Chinese cut, which is like, I guess, the broader rest of uh, the, the country cut. Uh, and yeah, they're they're quite different in a lot of ways. Yeah. But uh, um, what were your thoughts on the movie? Because like you're, you're just overall. Oh, it was it was great. It like it felt like uh, like a gangster action, like an eighty action eighties action movie with like guns and car chases and stuff, but with the energy of a Shaw Brothers kung fu movie. Mm-hmm. And, and like Yun Biao especially has some really impressive stunts. Like the the jumping between cars thing is unbelievable oh the the lead guy yeah yeah like that that sequence where the cars are coming at him in the garage that's just oh like, my god Jesus yes god. holy yeah, terrifying. shit i like i don't know how he didn't get fucking creamed in a few sequences there uh <laughs> cynthia rothrock is really great too mm-hmm. uh yeah just a really just a, the the action is awesome the comedy fits really weird it's weird but it's it's the comedy and that makes me feel like this that makes me kind of want to compare this to a Shaw Brothers movie. Right, right. And because my, they have weird comedy. Yeah, that is true. My my recollection is that the Hong Kong cut actually had a bit more of the comedy stuff too. Oh. And like I, I guess the, the big notable thing is that the ending of the Chinese cut is quite different like it it softens some of the ending whereas the cut the the hong kong cut is pretty bleak like several more people die i think <laughs> but yeah uh yeah. just a real good time uh totally recommended mm-hmm. no it's, it's a lot of fun i, I loved it so uh, just w- before we get into the moves and ads and decisions and stuff i should say next week we'll be getting into the spooky stacks Ooh, is that next week already? That will be next week because we'll be recording on the 27th. So the episode won't be coming up until, I guess, October 2nd or something. Oh, yeah. So, so be. yeah, we're going to be uh, starting those next week. So, you know, as with last year, all horror through the month of October. That's all I watch. So uh, we're, we're going to be going hard. It's uh, the most wonderful time of the year. Spooky. So into it. All right, I'm excited. So, uh, for our last not necessarily spooky stacks for a little while, uh, we've got, I think, eight options here. Okay. Uh, first up is 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah, uh, so, so this is, uh, we talked about it a bit uh, last week, too. Yep. Uh, this uh, movie rules. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like it's it's on a level with like Jaws. It's so influential. It's so stunning. The effects are incredible. There's so many iconic moments. Yeah, it's like well, it's kind of like Citizen. I, my understanding is it's kind of mm. like Citizen Kane in that I've oh, I've yeah. seen the movie through The Simpsons just at yeah. different times. And like the effects are so impressive, especially in like 1968. That this is the reason people always theorize that Stanley Kubrick shot the moon landing. Because, like, he just makes it look oh. incredibly real uh, in this movie. Cool, cool. And it, it's, like, a, a really cool future. It's sort of set in the, like, the the main section of it is in the early 
commercial space travel era as envisioned from the 60s. So it's these really cozy, white paneled interior spaces. Like like I was talking about, I think it was last week regarding Strange Love and the airplane interior is this really cozy space. Oh, this is kind of yeah. like that. Uh, okay. But much more heavily bric-a-brac because, you know, it's a space station in the future. And it is sort of like the history of the technology of violence and war. And it's kind of a concept of ancient aliens guiding human development through those paths. Okay, cool. Uh, next up is Freddy versus Jason. <laughs> oh, the one where the one where Freddy's upset that no one's making movies about him and Jason's afraid of the water. It's still dumb shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, I would say it does work better as a Freddy film, like having just watched all of the Freddy movies. It reads better because it does make sense for the arc, especially it being so long after New Nightmare, where it's like, are, are we not making Freddy movies anymore? Really? Could, <laughs> can Jason give me a hand? <laughs> but beyond that, it's it's weird. It just feels fake. Like, it feels like a pastiche of Freddy and Jason. Like, n- none of it feels correct. And even, like, the other characters feel like pastiches of other things. Like, there's the, the thing that I always talk about, the fucking fake Jason muse. The, the the fake Jay from Jay and Silent Bob as a character yeah. in this movie, like that's unbelievable. But you know, it has some cool stunts. I I still think it sucks. <laughs> uh, I, oh, that reminded me. I do want to make a correction. Mm. Uh, last week I said Wes Craven's New Nightmare was a top five horror movie from me. Mm. I meant to say top five slasher. I forgot that the uh, that the rest of horror existed when I said that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's definitely five horror movies I can think of that I like better than this. I'd say, I'd say New Nightmare is probably like top twenty horror. Okay, okay. So speaking of slashers, next up I watched Scream. Ooh, I love Scream. I remember loving Scream. I should say. So I don't love Scream, and that's that's an unpopular opinion. Like this, most people do feel like this movie has aged really well. I'm really mixed on it okay so the the biggest thing is it feels like a tv show now it feels like breaking bad or not breaking bad uh big bang theory just just this endless spew of references and self-referentiality it's just like there's no pause for the laugh track it it looks like tv because it's shot like that it all takes place in these huge monster houses uh, that like you saw in 90s comedies and sitcoms like oh you expect... yeah like the freaking giant home improvement house that's like a totally six totally. million dollar mansion you, you expect fucking uh mrs doubtfire to come around the corner at any time or uh bob saget might show up as danny tanner uh it, it's always really bright uh, and it's blandly shot like it's not very well shot uh, it doesn't look good Hmm. Uh, and just the Kevin Williamson of it all, you know, <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I really hate his dialogue. Like, I, I get it. Sometimes some of it's very clever. And but but my issue is that it's sort of it, it walks this weird line of it's very self-referential and it sort of got horror fans because it has some more deep cut references. Mm-hmm. But it feels really self-loathing. It, it seems to hate horror. <laughs> oh, really? 
like it, it just has this weird it, it it's it it seems really regressive to me it has this sort of 50s sensibility in it that it, like cops good teens bad it's totally fine with the violence but very prudish about sex and nudity oh yes death to all teenagers who fuck yeah and it seems like it just leans into that even though i don't feel that that's actually true of any of the real slasher movies i've watched and like i've watched a lot of them and it just seems like that's a manufactured like it's buying into the hysteria around slasher movies instead of genuinely evaluating them mm. you know what i'm Which saying a like a movie like this would need to do right and it's it's weird coming from wes craven because but you know he didn't write it and i do feel like he brings a satirical edge to it but i don't think it would have that otherwise because it does feel like it's just more of a polemic where mm. it, it just sort of pulls in the horror fans by being you know a referential to those and like it, it heavily uses halloween and that's the only times that i feel like it really works is when it's like aping halloween and like using its beats although the whole drew barrymore sequence at the beginning is still fucking rad like that slaps oh yeah wasn't like wasn't in the marketing material she was uh like one of the top billed actors and if we were meant yeah. to think she was the lead yeah like they, that's actually what brought uh, Wes Craven to the project. He just thought that was really cool. It was like Psycho. They they do a thing like that in Hitchcock's Psycho. And it, it has a Psycho sensibility. Yeah, it feels like something made in the 50s or 60s. Except it's super 90s because it's all about the dangers of mobile phones. And Oh, yeah. You got Matthew Lillard and Jamie Kennedy. Matt L- Matthew Lillard's <laughs> got his tongue out all the time. Uh, oh, God, right. That was... Uh... <laughs> Uh, uh, one one thing that's cool is it uses Nick Cave's Red Right Hand quite a bit, which is kind of fun. I love that song. Okay. Uh, you probably know it because they weren't the first to do it, but I guess they popularized it more. The the X Files did it first, I think. I, I'm uh, sure I'll know it if I hear it. Uh, a shadow is cast wherever he stands. Stacks of green paper in his red right hand. That kind of stuff. And there's like bells, and like pounding. It's a great song. Cool. Uh, and it sort of became the theme song of the series because they don't really uh have uh, a memorable score in any sense. Mm. <laughs> What I find interesting about Scream mostly coming back to it is the concept of the villain as it is a cheap Halloween costume that anyone can buy. It's totally generic and it is a literally interchangeable generic fill in the villain each sequel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's totally like the villain. Yeah, it could be anyone. Yeah, it's just and and it's not like it could be anyone because they're immortal. It's just. You know, anyone could put on a cheap Halloween costume and stab people. It's not that impressive. Yeah. So that that, that is one thing I like about it. And I think the, the best parts about it kind of maybe come from Wes Craven's sensibility. But yeah, it's really, it really feels like made for TV stuff now. Uh, maybe because of just how influential it was to, to an extent. That could be. Uh, next up is Terror Out of the Sky. Uh, bees. bees. Oh, no. <laughs> Not the bees. It's it's a weird one. It's another TV movie. So it's it has like the tone of a Mary Worth or Mark Trail comic. <laughs> like, 
there's like this constant, very serious peril of killer bees going to take over an entire town. But like everybody's just always talking pretty quietly. They're moving slowly. Nobody's in much of a rush. Even like there will be scenes of people personally engulfed in bees just really slowly walking around or someone like driving a vehicle that is completely engulfed in bees just slowly (laughs) down the road. I'm just imagining Nicolas Cage being like, oh, not the bees. They're, they're, they're in yeah. my eyes. There, there is one really great part where someone examines a corpse and like turns to Cameron very seriously. His mouth is full of bees. <laughs> great. And and there's a part where the, the swarm of bees attacks a marching band because of how loud it is, which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that It's a sequel to a movie I haven't seen also. Okay. Uh, next up is Golden Arm, a uh, ladies arm wrestling movie. Oh. So Over the Top, uh, which is a Stallone movie in the 80s where he is uh, putting up his semi to uh, compete in a big arm wrestling competition. This is sort of that, but like gender flipped. It's this lady who has a bakery that's going under, so she needs to... Uh, win the competition to make enough to buy a new uh, bakery oven. Okay. Uh, and and she's just like a, a spindly thin girl, but she has a golden arm. She just has a, you know, she's perfect at uh, arm wrestling for some reason. <laughs> Protagonist magic. Yeah, and it's like super ridiculous. Like all of the characters are very big. Uh, her best friend is played by Betsy Sidero, who is really funny, and she kind of dominates every scene. Although there are some stuff, some scenes with Ron Funches, who's the voice of uh, King Shark on Harley Quinn. Okay. Uh, and he is really funny, and like the two of them have hilarious chemistry. But I do feel like nobody else is ever quite able to get on the same level as the two of them, and some of the bits really drag. But otherwise, I found it a lot of fun. Cool. Uh, next up is Alien. Now, this is a top five horror movie for me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. This is maybe a top five movie for me, quite honestly. So good. It's like 2001 uh, multiplied by Halloween. Uh, it's, okay. <laughs> it's, it's Halloween happening on this distant spacecraft. You know, it's a haunted house in space. It's a slasher in a sci-fi setting. With a, uh, with a creature who you don't at this point nobody knows what its powers are right but it has a deeply sexual nature to it which is interesting like it's so deeply associated with sexual imagery and the the alien ship is eerily sexual in unsettling and uncanny ways well didn't hr uh, geiger do the monster designs he sure did and <laughs> he loves that stuff he, and yeah. he, he designed the ships and stuff, or like the alien ship and everything. Uh, and you got Jonesy the Cat. Uh, a lot of people complain about Jonesy the Cat and the save the cat thing. It's great. It's oh, perfect. no, you save it, the cat. It makes perfect sense to me. She's like, all right, uh, I, this, this spider, just I can't deal with it anymore. I'm burning down the house. I'm just going to grab the cat and go. It makes perfect <laughs> sense to me. I, it, it totally tracks. Also, an amazing cast. Grossest like robot good. ever. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Uh, oh, so good, though. Ian Holm, really great as... Uh, is he Bishop in the first one? Or is he only uh, Bishop No, he's Ash. Uh, he's Ash, right. It's, it's Bishop is the robot in the second one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next up is King Carr. 
Okay, uh, what's this, King Car? So this is a it's a Brazilian movie uh, from a couple of years ago. And it's like an eco-punk statement, kind of. Okay. There's this kid who's born in a taxi. And so he grows up with the ability to talk to cars. And then... Uh, maybe he can find out what's wrong with mine. Maybe. And then, like, this taxi that his dad owns is, like, his best friend as a kid. And he's, like, driving around when he's five. But then... His mom is in it and she's not paying attention and he's run into the road and it swerves to save him and the mom hits the windshield uh, and dies. Oh, okay. So he he starts to hate cars and he like abandons the 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 taxi business and stuff and he uh, starts to uh, fall in love with this environmentalist girl. Oh, interesting. But, he has to reconnect with his child car friend because the, the the government passes a law against cars that are older than 15 years. Uh, so it puts him out of business, right? Because his cars are from like way pretty old. This is set in the future, right. by the way, and cars are all kind of bizarre looking. Okay. <laughs> so the car starts a revolution where they retrofit the old cars to make them seem like new cars, but it's like a fake revolution that's of capitalism and anti-environmentalism and conservatism. Oh. And, like, you know, the the kid is brought into it and it seems to be doing it, but, like, they start just a brand and, like, they launch a, a car company and he sort of slowly realizes that it, it was just a fake capitalist shill thing and not a revolution and he kind of joins with uh, the the girlfriend who is planting seeds that make the cars uh, burst into plants i don't know it's it's very strange <laughs> <laughs> and ultimately the car will be sold for a hundred yen less than the other one i mean you you would figure uh it it looks very strange when they uh uh, put it together like it's kind of cool but it's also kind of like our fucked up looking rides you know <laughs> nice uh, and last one is meat cleaver massacre Ooh, what <laughs> could this be about and so uh guess how many meat cleavers occur in this film i, I want to i want it to be at least five it's a good zero not not a one uh, <laughs> it's a very shaggy incoherent movie so there's there's these four college students and they get really drunk and upset about their teacher in the occult they for they they, they go to an occult class in in college and they're they're one of their professors is like just a dangerously expert in all of the occults and like he's he's a major authority in it okay and like one of the guys has uh, some kind of beef with him on campus because he doesn't believe that shit. And for whatever reason, they all get drunk and stoned and they drive to his house and murder his entire family and leave him in a coma. Oh, gr great. Yeah, it, it kind of comes out of nowhere. It's like, yeah, they, they show up, they uh, knife his dog, they hit him with the statue and then they like murder his wife and daughter and son, I think. Yeah, I think it's all three. See, I don't believe in Satan, and now you don't either. Where's it, your Satan now? Yeah, I truly don't get any of the rationale there. And, like, it's it's especially stupid because, obviously, he's a guy who's made deals with every supernatural force out there. They just get fucking mega cursed. Yeah. Uh, 
and yeah, ghosts kill them. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. they, they get I, I or or the professor from his uh, hospital bed in the coma is like supernaturally getting them or whatever. You know, they get got obviously. Of course, with with meat cleavers, no. No, not not a one doesn't happen. Oh, I'm so, uh, so yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Uh, apparently, like I watched the original cut, but there's a theatrical cut that also adds scenes at the beginning and end where Christopher Lee introduces it and closes it. <laughs> okay, why not? Star. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so those are our eight options for next week. What do you figure? I know oh, you were man. really interested in 2001 last week. I still am. But, it does oh, man, I think I think we would do a great episode on Alien. I do also want to hear more about your thoughts on Scream and see if it's as good as I remember it being. But I haven't. 2001 is the one I'm interested in that I haven't seen. It's a, a really great movie, and I kind of intentionally didn't choose much that was going to be too much to stand up against it because <laughs> it is something that is worth seeing, and it's so interesting. And, you know, it has that whole trip sequence, which you kind of do need to see. Mm, oh, yeah, right. Uh, let's do that then. Let's All do right, 2001 cool. A Space Odyssey. Cool. Uh, so we have only a handful of editions for our last group of editions for quite some time, because in uh, the Spooky Stacks, the the Dead Rise, the, uh, the rules don't apply. We just have all the stacks open and there are no editions. So first up, we got A Clockwork Orange. I've next, seen that. Next Kubrick movie, maybe my favorite movie. Period. It's, it's good. It, like it, it would be high up in the conversation, like up there with uh, Blue Velvet and uh, Nashville. You know, strong, strong contender. Uh, oh, that's not one I've watched in a little while, but it's just you know, on, on every level, it's so fascinating as a dystopia. This really interesting. Not super far distant dystopia, but brutalist mm-hmm. uh, in, in such a weird Art Deco way. Uh, just its its vision of juvenile delinquency is really interesting. I love the score. Incredible score. I love, I love like the made up language that the, that the punks have or the Their slang. Have. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, I should remember what it's called. Something dat. Uh, I've like I I read the book in high school and really loved it uh it's it's just great it's so cool it's really funny it's really crazy just a great movie cool uh next up is girl gang uh some real uh, i i guess this would have to be a double bill with pin down girl which the two movies that come <laughs> together they're both about an pin hour down long. girl okay <laughs> So they're early 50s exploitation movies when when like you couldn't do much. So it would just be criminal organizations. There would be people who you know, you'd have a bunch of lady wrestlers or lady drug dealers or whatever. Mm-hmm. So the, the first one, it's girl gang. You know, they're they're dealing drugs in the neighborhood, obviously. Uh, and Pin Down Girl, which is one I've seen before on Mystery Science Theater under a different title. I think it's Racket Girls there. 
it's about a wrestling gym that's a front for a crime syndicate. Uh, they're they're both directed by the same guy. They both star the same guy as like the chief kingpin. Uh, they're very cheap and brief and goofy. Mm, like right. a, a similar tenor to something like Reefer Madness. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, next Reefer up is Madness is special. It is. Uh, next up is Hot Snake. This one's a Mexican supernatural revenge western. Ooh. Uh, we, we've got a psycho killer on the run, and he's being helped by a witch who can see the future. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, sounds pretty cool. And last up is Buster Keaton Rides Again. Uh, this is a Canadian documentary from the 60s about Buster Keaton making one last silent film in Canada during the 60s. Oh, shit. All right. Just him just still trying to do really dangerous gags, even though he was extremely ill and 70. Oh, no, he was 70. Oh, Wait, yeah. He, was al- he, he was died the, the next year. Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like he just didn't have much to do in Hollywood after the silent era. He, he was a very difficult man to work with, apparently, too. Mm. Okay. Uh, real perfectionist. And right. I figure if we, we were to cover that one, we would do it with The Railroader, which is the silent film itself, which is also included on the disc, and or Helicopter Canada, which is its double feature, which is just a movie where they fly a helicopter over all of Canada with uh, just a, a panoramic camera. And that, oh, sounds, that sounds fucking awesome. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah, that sounds pretty rad. Uh, so those are the only additions. Not a lot of uh, new stuff to add. Uh, what do you figure for our last one before we hit the spooky stacks for a month? All right. Um, well, it was the name was mentioned in a podcast that we both listened to recently. So I and this has been on the list for quite a while. So let's finally do Patty Hearst. Patty Hearst. So that I can finally stop thinking it's about Big Patty from the Manson family. <laughs> so Patty Hearst is uh, the heir of William Randolph Hearst, uh, you know, Citizen Kane, basically. Oh, shit. OK, cool. Uh, you know, she was uh, she she was abducted by the Symbionese Liberation Army. And, you know, she is like the legendary, you know, she she got Stockholm Syndrome and sort of became part of their group and was arguably, you know, depending on who you believe, forced into uh, various terrorist acts. Uh, became okay. sort of like the the dangerous face of like you know the the exorcist is arguably inspired by her in terms of just like the youth culture dangerously coming up against uh the adults hmm. uh, and this is from paul schrader who's uh he he directs this one uh he wrote taxi driver and bringing out oh. the dead oh oh yes bringing out the dead was a lot of fun uh, this also has Ving Rhames, who's in Bringing Out the Dead. Oh, shit. He was one of the ambulance drivers. Uh, yeah, so it should be fun. Uh, this is one I've been meaning to get to for quite a while myself. So uh, cool, cool. All right. So, uh, yeah, that'll be interesting next week. Uh, just before we get into the spooky stacks, we'll be covering uh, Patty Hearst and 2001 A Space Odyssey. Nice, nice. Nice, nice. Should be good times. Uh, All right. Do you have any last thoughts before we close off for this week? Yeah, no, I think everything's good. Blasphemer! Blasphemer! It only works if I'm actually uh, calling out a specific action. 
Yeah, I will. I don't know, right? Well, maybe. Uh, who, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't work at all this time. Uh, all right. Well, thanks everyone so much for listening. And uh, you want a microscopic cog in his catastrophic plan, designed and directed by his red right hand. <laughs>